This week we got all dolled up and have a slice of cake as we discuss the 1974 horror mystery, Lisa and the Devil. Hello and welcome to the Bloody Bits Horror Show. I am your host, Eddie. The Axe Jefferson, and joining me as always, the duct tape mechanic himself, Tim Yobo. How are you doing today, good sir? Uh, why do I get the jobs with all the fucking stupid hats? <laughs> You're a man of many hats, Tim. I'll put it that way. And Tim, we are not alone, as always. We are joined once again by the lady waking up nude and covered in leaves. It's Candace. <laughs> I actually wrote a comment like, yep. Same. It's happened to me. Happens to the best of us. <laughs> how you doing today, Candace? Doing great. Doing great. I like how you always say, and always joining us, like I'm not, you know, <laughs> an official co-host just as deeply ensconced no, as that's Tim. A, that's like actually nice. That's like when you're guesting on a TV show and it says, and... But when you're on that's literally yeah, every episode, I'm not a special guest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, I lost a bet. Uh, so, Candace, you are the funniest one on this uh, show. Oh, okay. <laughs> you had to preface it by saying you lost a bet. Oh, wait, I, I wasn't supposed that. to say that part out loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So oh, okay. Damn, I was Candace. thinking it was a compliment. <laughs> it's never a compliment. Tim and Candace, we are joined once again by longtime friend of the show, scribe of the salacious, patron of the perverted arts, and writer of so many wrongs, Iago Faustus, how are you doing today, good sir? Well, I'm just fine, and I'm I'm glad to finally be here. We got a little bit of trouble getting in, I know, but uh, I managed to fix it by swapping out computers. If only other things were so easy to mend. Yeah, not like, not that simple. <laughs> like failing organs, just swap it out for a new one. Yeah. Uh, that one reminds day. me, we watched uh, Crimes of the Future again, now that, now that it's available digitally. Yep. Yeah, I made the wife watch it too. She uh, she loved it. Are you oh, it's, being uh, serious or? Yeah, no, she liked it. Oh, okay. I, I I watched it too. Actually, I you know it wasn't showing any clear any closer than the city, uh, and I had sort of wanted to see it on a big screen, but couldn't find the time. So I did finally just stream it and watch it. I'm going to watch it. I'm trying to find a good time to watch it because I know I can't watch it with other people around me. I mean, yeah, I, I can't. Nah, not. you don't want you don't want your son walking in on that one. No, no kidding. I, it's like, I don't think so. This is Cronenberg. This is Cronenberg's. I guess you know he's quite old now, but he still he still has it. He really seems to be able to do dystopia like nobody. Uh, and he can't find a role that's too difficult for Viggo Mortensen to play. Uh, yeah, no, so. Viggo was incredible in this, and and like I said, uh, I was talking with my wife about it. Kristen Stewart was really good in it as well. Like she played that character, and that'd be kind of a trickier one to play. And she played it really well, though. Even, even the horny bureaucratic nerd. Yeah, 
<laughs> so when we cover the next uh, Twilight movie, you'll have to keep that in mind. Uh, when we cover. <laughs> when we cover the next Twilight movie. Yeah, I'm sure that's coming right up. Oh, no well, I mean, there's there. always no vampire coming up because we're doing it again. No, there isn't. We yes, there did is. Well, if enough Patreons demand it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Right? Enough Patreons demand it. Good point. So, uh, as you all are aware, we, we typically start these shows off with a little segment, What Have You Been Consuming, uh, where we talk about something that we've been consuming over the week, whether it's movies, music, games, whatever. Coffee. coffee? Yeah, yeah. I haven't been having... You know, I, I tried to think back on the last time I had coffee the other day. I cannot remember. Just water all day and, and liquor at night. That's uh, How do you wake up in the morning? I don't understand I, that. I do. I just, I'm awake. It's fucked up. It's bizarre. It's, it's I unusual. used to drink a ton of coffee and then I stopped and I don't have a problem waking up. I have no, now I don't have a problem going to sleep. Um, I don't understand gotcha. what you people are saying. I'm drinking coffee right now. So I, I guess we'll defer to you as we always do, Candice. What have you been consuming this week? <laughs> Well, I kind of blew my load in the beginning before we ever started recording. I've been going through a Tom Cruise-a-thon. I guess, you've been, you've a, I guess a Tom on Cruise. Cruise control. Yeah, exactly. I've been on Tom Cruise control. Okay. Started with Legend. Then I watched uh, the first Mission Impossible, which of course led to the mm-hmm. second one. Started the third one, but you know I had to stop because we had to start recording. I also watched Days of Thunder, which, man, that movie's oh, fucking oof. great. Yeah, Fuck you. That movie's awesome. <laughs> Are you kidding me? It's very fun. Okay. It's got Michael Rooker. <laughs> you like Rooker? what you like. It's got Robert what? Duvall. You're telling me that's not a great film. It's got Randy Quaid as like a greasy There's NASCAR manager. There's lots of movies manager. that have good cast in it, but that doesn't mean they're a good movie. It's a great movie. It's a fucking fantastic movie, and it gets overshadowed by Top Gun, and I think more people need to pay attention to Days of Thunder. Yeah, it's more down to earth. Exactly. <laughs> That's true, Tim. All right, buddy. What have you been consuming this week, Tim? Uh, not really too much. I've been playing the hell out of fucking Fall Guy now that it came on Xbox. Oh, yeah, I'm yeah. That, that game is fucking addictive, man. I can't believe it. Yeah, I tried that a long time ago on the PC. Now that it's on Xbox, I might have to have to give it another shot. Um uh, so how have you made it far in any of your matches yet, Tim? Uh, there's a couple of times. I usually do better on the races. There's um, there's one where you got to go past like a fucking medieval fucking torture chamber with the fucking logs with the spikes in it. That shit always is knocking me on my ass. But my wife loves it too. And it's been a long time since my wife actually saw me playing a game. She's like, oh, wait, what's that? And she started hmm. playing it too. Tim, I, I think people would love to watch you live stream playing Fall Guys. I, I think <laughs> I think you might get kicked off of Twitch pretty quickly unless you mute yeah. your mic, but I'll bet you could. Yes, you could I'd get have to watching. mute the mic, definitely, yes. And the gotcha. camera, so then what's the point? That's just me playing a game. <laughs> Who's going to fucking watch that? A lot of people. Nothing. I'll do that when I want to check out a game, but I don't want to hear some asshole talking five, you know, 500 miles per hour. I just want to see footage of the gameplay to see if it's something I like. I find the ones where they're not talking, and I don't have to see their stupid fucking face. Oh, man. You see, that's a good thing about Twitch. That's a good way to find out if you like a game before you spend any money. If it's not on Game Pass anyway. If you're if you're like a PlayStation Five sucker and you got to spend seventy bucks on all your games, <laughs> losers. Watching yeah. Twitch, yeah, and watching Twitch is a good way to find out if it's worth it. Those Sony yeah. ponies. Yeah. So, what about you, Faustus? What have you been consuming this week? Well, I mean, aside from uh, <laughs> aside from 
uh, crimes of the future. Uh, and I should, by the way, I never thought I'd be quite so turned on by seeing Liz Sadu penetrated by stainless steel autopsy scalpels, but I was. Oh, oh my God. I, oh, it's Cronenberg, Cronenberg <laughs> has really rubbed off on me, I guess. But Rubbed out on you. Yeah, we'll have to do this one on, on the bloody bit sometime. Mm-hmm. But the other movie I guess I recently watched, have you ever seen uh, David Robert Mitchell's Under the Silver Lake? No, I haven't. No. Minor, minor issue. Um, came out in 2018. Uh, yes, I know what you're talking about. Yes. Yep. It was really very horny. Hitchcockian. Um, very Hitchcockian in a way. It seems almost designed to appeal to some of my favorite forms of paranoia, uh, such as those about obscenely rich people and Los Angeles uh, and what obscenely rich people in Los Angeles do uh, and the conspiracies that may rumble underground. Castles. Yeah. Part of a society. Very, there's a little bit of sort of like you know, 21st century Chinatown vibe going on there. So uh, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed it a great deal. Uh, I don't know if anyone else necessarily would, but it felt it felt well made for me. It also made me wonder if things wouldn't have gone better in my life if I hadn't been more of a slacker. But, you know, that's the way it is. Uh, then aside from that, I guess what I'm mostly consuming now are books. Uh, that's probably kind of normal because I do a lot of research. Um, I'm trying to get done with a big graphic novel adaptation. And I'm about 230 pages to the projected 400 or so of that, hoping to be done by the end of summer. And I'm reading forward for the next major fiction project, uh, which is going, which means I'm reading books about human sacrifice. Um, And Mm, the reason why is that I figure that that's another thing that our, in our dystopian future will probably find its way back into our lives somehow uh, as things get crappier and crappier out there. Uh, you know, we'll manage to reintroduce into our collective life all those absurdities and cruelties of the past. That well, we aren't they doing that, a real life Squid Games? Well, we're kind of doing that, and you know, I'm sure <laughs> yeah. we'll probably we'll probably find some way to reinvent slavery, and uh, we're definitely finding ways to reintroduce witch hunting. Uh, I can summarize that in one word: grooming. Uh, so <laughs> I think that you know we can find other ways to invent the bad old religion. Uh, also, you got to This is a the story will probably be about how Hollywood starts making real snuff films. And you have to admit, Hollywood needs more ideas. I mean, all they ever make now are, you know... I see a snuff film over a fucking remake any day. Yeah, so, (laughs) you know, so I'm reading books like Nigel Davies' Human Sacrifice and History Today and Derek Hughes' Culture and Sacrifice uh, and Larry Rex's Human Sacrifice Anthropological Perspectives. It seems like Cambridge University Press is the big go-to... publisher if this is your subject i don't know why uh but there it is so that's what i've been consuming recently damn i've been playing fucking fall guys i've been watching tom cruise movies (laughs) but (laughs) when you're talking about uh uh repeating history and stuff i actually had a conversation with someone tuesday about like i can't stand it when people are like why do i have to learn about history i'm never gonna use it you stupid motherfuckers of course you need to learn about history so you don't make the same stupid fucking mistakes again. And they don't. And guess what happens? They keep making the same fucking mistakes again. Yeah, history repeats itself. It's almost like if people weren't anti-intellectual and actually thought to learn something other than what they see on Twitter or Facebook, you could actually grow as a person and actually make real changes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just... That's why they That's should okay. listen to this podcast. She makes me I, I so prepared, angry. I, I, I prepared this rant for a friend of mine who's got a daughter who's going into college. Uh, and he said, well, you know, I'm not really sure about you know, the, sort of the liberal arts approach and all that. And I said, look, 
I'll, I'll give you a one sentence pitch of why to study the humanities. You study the humanities not to be not stupid, uh, right? You yeah. learn yeah. they they basically teach you that most of what you hear is bullshit, and they make you make you able to detect yeah. that bullshit. Uh, the studying history does that. Studying literature does that. You know, studying physics is important, but it doesn't teach you to detect bullshit except about physics. So, um, <laughs> well, it can't. It does. It can teach you when someone is doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. But the study of mm-hmm. humanities will teach you how to create great arguments to show them how fucking stupid they are. Mm. Fair, fair. Provided they're engaging with you honestly and intellectually in the, your that, argument. No sure. one does that. Yeah. <laughs> no one does that. <laughs> but, you know, no, that's why. there's a lot to be said for going out and building up your intellectual immune system. So There's a lot fair. to be said just to learn for the sake of learning. Not necessarily because you want to build a trade off of it, but because you want to grow as a person. Oh, well, if you want to go out, yeah, but that's go not out how there. Yeah, that's country with, is anymore. You want to go out with all these advanced lessons, Candace. <laughs> Doing things for their own sake? Oh, my. Oh, man, uh, yeah, I'm going to learn something just because it's interesting, not because I plan on using it? That's insane. Yeah. I think in this country now, the stupider you are, the better people like it. Oh, fuck. Uh, God, yeah, I hate that's it true. so much. Stupid cells. And, and hey, speaking of uh, stupid selling and, and uh, learning about the humanities. We have a sponsor. What I've been, cons- no, <laughs> what I've been consuming this week. I just watched the new Beavis and Butthead movie. Oh, God. Beavis and Butthead do the universe. And, Tim, when I yeah. tell you it is a return to form, my friend, it is a return That's not a lot. to form. <laughs> well, there's a, okay, so there's a joke in it that, that uh, because Beavis and Butthead get sucked in through a black hole and then they, they teleport from. <laughs> black hole, yeah. That's a joke. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, uh, and so then they get sucked in from their time, which I think was like 96 to today, you know, 2022. And uh, this causes a disruption in, in space and time. Right. So another Beavis and Butthead from another universe, uh, uh, another dimension, smart Beavis and smart Butthead. They're like, look, we made a portal so you can get back to your place. It's behind the humanities building at the university over here. Nobody will notice you going over there because it's empty. <laughs> so feel free to go. And, of course, they fuck everything up. But it's fun, though. It's a fun movie. Okay. I'll trust you. Yeah. That I feel and like I, I've been playing. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I feel like I grew out of Beavis and Butthead. I love them in the 90s, but I think back on it and I'm like, I don't think I would enjoy that anymore. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I think say I watched give, like a couple of shows and I was like, okay, I get it. I'd say give the movie a shot because it's not like the TV show. Clearly, they, they aren't like watching. You just said it was Return of the Fool. And, no, the, 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 the style of humor, right? So Mike Judge also wrote, you know, like Office Space and Idiocracy, things like that. So and King him of in the long Hill? form. Dude, seriously? And King of the You're Hill? not going to mention King of the Hill? Well, I was more commenting on his long form, like movie format. Because he writes a little bit differently in that than he does, like on just the television episodic stuff. Gotcha. Well, you have to. Yep. Uh, other than that, like I said, watched Crimes of the Future. We are going to have to cover that because, damn, that is an uncomfortably horny and uncomfortably uncomfortable movie. Oh, time it- for Ashes. <laughs> it's probably not uh, real enough for her. <laughs> yeah, Ashes. Uh, there's not a lot of like. 
the people are enjoying mutilation, <laughs> so I don't think she'd be into it. Uh, yeah, that's right. We need torture. Uh, no, so, so and I, I returned Candace mm-hmm. to uh, Vampire Survivors. Oh, enjoying those new updates, huh? Yeah, yeah. I've been throwing a few rounds of that out. I got up to level what was it, like fifty or something. Well, what's the longest you've lasted? Recent... I I don't know. I'd have to Dude, check that. Some you wait until you get to like the twenty-five minute mark in a level. Oh my god, mm-hmm. it's fucking. You're going to become addicted to it. You're going to see why this movie—that's movie. This video movie. game is like crack cocaine. No, I already get that. I, I played as um, the character that throws the projectile that goes through everything and bounces off. I had like a solid playthrough as that character. It's ridiculous. It got to the point where I was like, I don't think anything can kill me. <laughs> like, it was <laughs> they, they, something kills you. They stack it on. They stack it on to the point where you're like, if my PC was like one ram less, it would be on fire one right now. One ram less. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. What that means. <laughs> That's a fun game, though. People should go out and check that one out. Alrighty. Well, that all being behind us, uh, I believe we are actually done with our contractual obligation to be representatives of Manscaped. Ah, so, you know, let's oh, give really? them a freebie just to show them we got goodwill. No, and great that's balls. okay. So when you know I what? go on the grind bin, I uh-huh. can say, honestly, that we're done. For now, yeah. And I'm not yeah. going to be like, well, we actually. We don't know that. They may re-up. They may re-up. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. But but uh, as far as the recording today, there is no <laughs> no pro, uh, promotion that we're doing. When are we Candace, getting paid? here's what you do. Let me teach you a little bit about promotion. Mm-hmm. When you go on the grind bin, tell them that you're not 100% sure if the code is yeah. working. So they should go to the bloodybits.com website yeah. to find out whether or not it's exactly or what the new code will be. See? Yeah, there you go. So instead, of uh, what I'm going to promote... Uh, uh, pro bono here, just just on my own here. I'm going to promote uh, the abolition of religion. Now, oh God! Recently, I really was hoping we would not talk. I about knew, this. I knew it was coming. Come on, Ken. Recently, I, I don't uh, want to talk about it. Waiting for it. I know, I know, and you know what? I know a lot of the listeners. Well, you know what, Candace? You're a woman, and you don't get a choice whether or not you want to talk about something yeah. or do anything or I'll make any just, decision. You're just going to have I'll to be, sit here and listen to us. Met. I'll be brief with it. And, uh, yeah, Tim, shut up. Uh, <laughs> no. Everybody knows what the fuck went down this week uh, with the overturning of fucking Roe v. Wade from a bunch of re- religious ideologue assholes that were elected mm-hmm. by a sham of a president to a lifetime position. So fuck them. Fuck you if you believe I you have the right like the to majority tell anybody what to do with their fucking body. Oh, yeah. Um... Yeah, it's terrifying being the father of two uh, two young girls who are going to grow up. And I guess I just have to live in California. I can't, we can't move because clearly, you know, the federal government's not going to do anything to protect women's rights. They they really couldn't give a rat's ass. I, I did see the Pentagon put out a, a, a memo that on all of the military bases that it's still going to be legal for women to get abortions because you don't want pregnant women. You just women. have to join the army. Well, you don't want pregnant women getting shot at, just regular women, right, Tim? Uh, I mean, yeah, it makes the body armor look a little bit hard. Hey, to put on we fought too, long right? and hard to be put in active combat, so I'm, you know, I can't really say much about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you that know. That was a long struggle. 
and I just want to I just want to remind everybody if they're if they're curious what got us here largely, it's the fact that everybody thinks they got a fucking imaginary friend up in the sky that tells them what they can and they cannot do. Then if they get elected into these positions where they're supposed to represent the people in general and uh, I don't know not lie under oath when they're being sworn in to do their fucking job, guess what? Doesn't matter. They don't respect the laws of this fucking land. Why would they? The only mm-hmm. law they respect comes from their fucking imaginary friend up in the sky. So you can thank them for that. Next time, next time somebody comes up knocking on your door to ask you if you've heard the good news or to, to invite you over to their church or something, just remember these are the pig fuckers that are taking away human well, rights. Okay. Every Let one me of them. Interject here. No. Let me yes. interject here. Jehovah's Witnesses are politically neutral. They cannot hold any offices. They cannot vote. They don't salute the flag because that's nationalist and that's against the Bible. Okay. Jehovah's Witnesses are innocent of this. They had nothing to do with this. Yeah, go watch that documentary on Jehovah's Witnesses that I just I came was up a Jehovah's Witness. Where... I'm not going to watch a fucking documentary. No, I'm not telling you about it. I'm not telling you about it politically. I'm talking about all the kid fucking they're covering up. Oh, yeah. I didn't know about that. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you know what? So (laughs) let's spike them for that. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, to use a a term my cop friend likes to throw around, hey, they all do it. So uh, what are you going to do? No, they don't all do it. I, I know the ins and outs, and I know exactly what they were doing. So, yeah, and I didn't agree with it. That's why I'm a former. One of the reasons why I'm a former. But mm-hmm. I was going to say, particularly for the abortion thing and being in politics, Jehovah's Witnesses had nothing to do with that. I, you know what? I just, I hate magic thinking. All of this magic thinking is just Luddite fucking behavior of people not trusting in science and not trusting in people's ability mm-hmm. to govern themselves and take care of their or own cherry fucking body. Or cherry-picking science when it suits their purpose to yeah. help their argument, and then rejecting it when it actually does something that proves that their whole thing is a sham. Yeah. Or and, you cherry-picking know, was... their beliefs. Yeah, yeah, that too. So it's very simple. All you have to do is don't have any of these supernatural beliefs. Then you don't have to cherry-pick them. You can throw it all out. It's great. Well, no, 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 look, Eddie, I'll say this. You can have all the supernatural beliefs you want. Just don't expect me to live by what your belief is. That's <laughs> Tim, it. they can't do that. Don't you understand? They yeah, know, know better for I you. Know. That's why they got to knock on your door and take your money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so I'm not sorry for saying this. Fuck all of you if you get pissed off about it. Unsubscribe from the fucking podcast if you're tired of our political nonsense that we get into from time to time. But you know what? Suck my dick. How about that? Yeah, yeah, it's true. called life. It's called a major fucking precedent that's happened. Yep. Start your Sorry about that, Faustus. We'll, we'll get back to the fun now. <laughs> that's all right. You can check. The only my- thing I just want to say real quick is all the people who are okay with the government now going to tell a woman that she has to have a baby should be okay with that woman having the baby and the government telling them they now have to take care of that baby until the yeah. baby turns 18. Yeah. All I can say is you can check my Twitter feed for my not your brood style graphic, which will be coming out shortly. Okay. Which you can put on a t-shirt if you like. <laughs> Sounds good to me. You know what? We have a t-shirt store. I'll, I'll throw something up there. And uh, yep. as far as solutions, because I hate to be just a complainer, I like to be a solution guy. My idea is we should make some charter schools for all these unwanted children that are going to be forced to be born right now. And we'll just make sure we put them all in a certain city in Texas so they can get shot up. Because you guys don't mind, you know, protecting fucking gun rights. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Takes care of itself, right, guys? 
keep voting red. Balance itself out. Yeah. All right. So, Lisa and the Devil, Faustus, my friend. <laughs> say, happy Peter Laurie's birthday, everyone. We're recording that on his. We're recording oh, on that. I watched oh, a movie with oh, him oh, not okay. too long ago. I didn't even so, realize that, huh? Yeah, well, happy Peter Laurie's birthday. Being on a show, M. Exactly. Yep. Yes. One of my damn fine movie. So, Faustus, my friend. You uh, reached out to me because you wanted to participate in the theme of this month, yep. which is loosely Italian film. <laughs> yep. That's about it. Well, so uh, I think they have all been Italian films, at least, or at least films with Italian directors. Right. right. So the, mm. initially the idea was Jallo, but then Candace insisted we don't do any of them because she doesn't like any. So we've had to sneak a couple in here and there. <laughs> you put it in a piece of cheese. Yeah, <laughs> it's the only way I would take it. I'm, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure "Strip Nude for Your Killer" was was a Jallo, even if uh, oh, kind of a yeah. An what about New York the Ripper? Greatest movie ever made. Damn. Would you consider New York Ripper a Jallo? Just want your opinion. Uh, yeah, I think it kind of is. Um, <laughs> wow, Candice. But you know, but I mean, it's sort of. But this one certainly isn't. And um, although, I, I guess what I would sort of said is that. When I look at this, I'm thinking of this. It's an underappreciated classic. It's kind of lyrical and I think kind of beautiful as a gothic horror movie made by Mario Bava, who was a director who may have been more responsible than anyone else for the emergence of Jalo as a subgenre. And then in a kind of grotesque historical irony, this particular movie fell deadborn from the movieola, uh, or whatever the appropriate metaphor here is, due to developments in, in Italian cinema, which might not have been possible without the pioneering work that Mario Bava himself did. I mean, what's important to realize here is that this is, movie is in some ways the realization of a director's dream. Bava had been very successful in his previous entry in the Italo horror subgenre in a 1972 movie called Baron Blood. And so his producer, Alfredo Leone, said, okay, you can have full artistic control over your next project. And the resulting movie is what we saw this week, Lisa and the Devil, uh, this lyrical kind of dream movie that moves with a dream logic through a nonlinear world. But unfortunately, and in, in this sense, he's sort of, there's a bit of a return to roots here because Bava had been making gothic movies before then. Uh, and if you look back to sort of, I guess, 1964, um, you know, in movies like Black Sun, or sorry, Black Sabbath, um, you have again sort of the kind of gothic themes that he is exploring here. But we there. But unfortunately, by the time this movie came out in the middle nineteen seventies, he the its its market had dried up. Yeah. Because keep in mind that this is precisely the time that movies were coming out, like Strip Nude for Your Killer, nineteen seventy five, or Dario Argento's Deep Red, or Lucio Fulci's Don't Torture Ugh. a Duckling. Uh, or Sergio Martino's Torso, also The Violent Professionals, and so on. The Italian audience in particular, and probably the more general European and American audiences, were now much more into explicit exploitation, violence, sex, and nudity than are on offer here. Uh, where, you know, here, this, you know, there's, there's nudity and there's some violence, yes, but most of the time, Bava is a little coy about these things. Um, compared to the, compared to like strip nude for your killer. It's much uh, more restrained. Uh, to, 
much more restrained, much more implied. Definitely so. Well, they say take those chains off and take those shirts off. Yep. <laughs> but again, like where would, would these movies have really been possible had Bob not been a pioneer back in the 1960s making movies like Black Sunday or Black Sabbath or The Whip and the Body in 1963, Blood and Black Lace, which is kind of the Ur Jalo back in 1964, uh, Kill Baby Kill in 1966, and even sort of trashy outings like Danger Diabolic, um, which helped pay, pave the way for Poliziotesky. Um, it's unfortunate there was no chance for his personal creation to be marketed. Um, and so Alfredo Leon, in a bid to make some money for his picture. I mean, he wanted to give Bava a chance to make what he wanted to make, but he didn't intend to like make no money off of it. Took the movie, cut it up really badly, <clears throat> got Bava to shoot some additional footage, and turned it into, all, of all things, an Exorcist ripoff. <laughs> uh, I read about that. Yeah. Yep. I read it, too, and I was like, I didn't see that movie. Did I watch the wrong movie? I've, it was I've seen it. House of the Exorcist, right? House of Exorcism, I think, is what That's it's called. It, yeah. yep. Oh, shit. Um, I thought this movie was supposed to be a knockoff of the Exorcist. No, I'm like, what the fuck? It's sort of like the one if thing. I see Telly Savalas crab walking down the stairs. Then I'm like, <laughs> one thing Italian cinema has always done as easily as falling off the log was make ripoffs of successful American properties, right? Bless them. Yeah. Um, Sometimes they're yeah. better. <laughs> <laughs> they're off there, and they're usually fairly entertaining, even when they're bad, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so you have this mutilated version. This version of the movie, with the House of Exorcism, uh, you know, you have a, a mutilated version of Lisa and the Devil serving as a backstory for the demonic possession narrative in which Alan Alda's dad plays a priest who tries to save El Kazomer from the devil's clutches. Um, and, you know, if you really want, like, a, a sort of more salacious version of Lisa and the Devil with more toplessness uh, and a longer kill scene um, for Silva Koshina and a full front, the, an obligatory shot, completely de novo, full frontal nudity scene where somebody tries to tempt Alan Alder's dad, um, you know, you can watch A House of Exorcism, which often comes... Now come, you tell me. Yeah, which <laughs> often comes on DVDs or Blu-rays, you know, it's packaged together um, at the two movies because they're sort of versions of one another. Now, Lisa and the Devil is almost an inversion, I think, of a conventional uh, gothic story. You know, in your standard conventional gothic story, you have an innocent heroine who goes to a cursed place that's isolated from the rest of the world and manages, in spite of going into profound peril, to sort of penetrate the dark mystery that lies over the place and then sort of either escape or bring about some sort of redemption. And here, the protagonist, as we shall see, is perhaps not as innocent as she seems, uh, even to herself. And it makes some highly interesting use of horror tropes advanced for its place in time. Not only does it use the uncanny in a fairly profound way, I mean, the dummies that are created by the character of Leandro are very much uncanny. Um, These puppets, they're like, and there are puppets and dolls and statues and so forth as well. And there's also a kind of horror of determinism that feels to me a lot like like Ligotti-esque yeah. because it seems that no character in this story possibly, ex- well, excepting Leandro, who seems to be driving it all, has any agency. I mean, Lisa clearly imagines that she does, but it really looks like they're all acting out one or another doomed roles in a sort of story. Yeah, they're um, doing, it sounds like they're doing it yeah, in no matter what's gonna happen, yep. over and over place. and over yeah. again. You know, they're either playing out the disgraceful family romance of the inhabitants of the villa, or they're the intersecting tawdry love triangle that the Lahars have. Uh, they are all like puppets, 
or dummies in some ways. Uh, and that, you know, sort of the themes interlock in that fashion. Uh, and, yeah, it was like five or six different Twilight Zone episodes mashed together. Yeah, and they all, you know, then they've got Telly Savalas, who is in one of the great Twilight Zone episodes there to run the show. Oh, talking teen. Holy yeah, shit. yes. So there we have it. You know, that's sort of what I saw in this movie. I thought it was really appealing in many ways. And so I thought I'd bring it in to cap off the Italo Horror Month. And I'm glad we brought a, you brought a Bava movie because we double dipped into Fulci and we had Dario Argento. Great. But uh, Bava is kind of a blind spot for me. I haven't seen a whole lot of Bava. And I'd always mm-hmm. heard about this movie, but I'd never watched it. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad I watched it. And I dig gothic horror. Like that yeah. good old classic strangers in a castle in a foreign country and they're kind of lost and everything's just like decayed looking. I love that stuff. Yep. Bob is pretty good at it. And, um, you know, if you like this sort of thing, I, I guess I could recommend going back to um, Black Sabbath uh, and the even earlier, the, tri- the, the sort of three episodes in one story called Black Sunday, especially the part of Black Sunday that's called the Vordulak which has Boris Karloff in it, which is yes. actually a, a wonderfully, wonderfully creepy vampire story. I was actually getting ready to watch that like last week. I was on uh, Paramount, and I was they had a ton of AIP movies. And so I was like checking them out, which is how I watched the Peter Lorre movie with Vincent Price. Um, oh, shit. It's the comedy where they're like the undertakers. And they're killing people to drum up business. I cannot remember the name uh, of it right now. I know what you're talking about, but this is no actually a pretty damn good movie. Movie with them, yeah. <laughs> but get this: so I went on Paramount, and that was like, "Oh, Black Sunday." I've been meaning to watch this for, for forever. And I clicked on it, and then the picture was the Black Sunday with Barbara Steele, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, with Barbara oh, Steele. Black, I think it's Black Sabbath, right? Oh, maybe one it was story Black Sabbath. Like, there's like one story that's a vamp. That the 1964 one has Barbara Steele in it. It's a vampire story. Or a kind of vampire-like story, a revenant story about a witch who comes back yeah. to you know, basically torment her her exact lookalike who is, you know, just trying to get married or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I, I clicked on it and it was like, oh, in 1978, uh, there was a terrorist attack on a football field, and I'm like, this is not the movie that yeah. they were that's, showing in the that's, picture. That's the Thomas, Thomas Harris Black Sunday. They rigged the Goodyear blimp or something Robert to explode. Yes, or, yeah. yes, oh, yes, yes, man. yes. I was like, this is not the movie that I was supposed to be watching. <laughs> this, doesn't look like a, this doesn't look like a tallow horror to me. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, is yeah, the vampire in tall. the blimp or something? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, yeah. No, thank you very much, Faustus, for the for your background with this. Uh, Tim, what about you, my friend? Is this your yeah. first viewing? or? Oh, hell yeah. Come on. Do you even have to ask that yeah. question? That's it's Italian. Remember, he's fair. racist. <laughs> he's like an Italian movie? I don't think so, sir. Well, Get I don't, shit out of here. I don't know. I think this month we might have uh, converted Tim with a couple of these. Uh, like, and look, I I have to reshuffle my top 10 movies of all time because of this. Month, huh? so. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Faustus, you warned us on that strip nude for your killer that that was going to be a particularly, uh, sleazy. <laughs> yeah. Sleaze. Yeah, that's right. How did you like the that ending was, of it too, by the way, Faustus, that was Tim's favorite part. Oh gosh. I can't even, I don't know if I can even remember the ending. Uh, so, <laughs> It's our favorite part. The the, uh, the very end of it, the uh, the protagonist and his uh, lady friend are about to uh, uh, become amorous with one another. 
Oh, right. Yeah. Of course. Yes. <laughs> well, just in case, just to be safe, he flips her over. No. <laughs> Wow, he's yeah. doing it for her protection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That way, she never has to be worried about getting killed. Now, right? uh, now I can figure out why I can't remember it. I've just I've repressed. It. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I want to get a tattoo of it on my leg. I'm really. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> it's just her shocked face yelling no on your leg. That'd be terrible. Maybe she get it on my belly. So her mouth could be the belly button. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm not going to do it the other way. You can oh. stop her from saying no. Yeah. Hey, all of a sudden she's got a beard. Uh, no. So, yeah, same with me. Uh, first time viewing for this one. Um, again, like I've said, Italian horror is a blind spot for me. So that was part of the whole impetus of uh, doing this month up. So, uh, Faustus, I... I know you've done your research. I know you've got your background notes and everything for the uh, for the movie. So I'll I'll defer to you if you would like right. to kind of give everybody. Well, I got a, I got a, a few cast and crew notes. Yeah. it's actually easy to cover. The, there's a it's a pretty small cast. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's easy to cover basically comp- almost comprehensively. Um, the obviously we have Mario Bava. His dates are 1914 to 1980. Who directed and wrote this movie. I've already discussed some of his filmography and the significance of the history. So, mm-hmm. you know, here I'll, I'll just add some biographical detail. His father was named Eugenio Bava, who was a sculptor by training. And he worked as a cinematographer mm-hmm. and special effects man during the Italian science film era. And later, both father and son would be doing special effects at the Instituto Luce, which is Mussolini's personal film studio, if you can believe that there was such a thing. Wow. Um, but he managed to shake off the stigma of that, uh, continued to work as a cinematographer through the late 1950s. He worked on what is probably the first Italian horror film of the post-asylant era called I Vampiri. He uh, did the first ever Italian, worked as a cinematographer on the first ever Italian science fiction movie, which has the title The Day the Sky Exploded. Mm. Uh, he was in many ways, as I've noted, an all-round pioneer. Uh, and film critics have suggested that among his movies that are precedents for things, that 1966's Kill Baby Kill is an early influence on J-horror, uh, which I can kind of believe, although I'm not much of a, a J-horror watcher, uh, and that 1971's Bay of Blood was among the first slasher movies, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and that it directly influenced Friday the 13th, the Friday the 13th series. Yeah, um, if you know anything about Friday the 13th, you know Bay of Blood. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, so Bava's son and sometimes collaborator Lamberto, who was born in 1944, has carried forward on the tradition of making Italo horror, uh, as well as the grind bin classic Blast Fighter. So <laughs> it's all in there, folks. Um, in our cast, Elka Zoma, uh, born in 1940 as Elka Baronin von Schletz, uh, and is thus one of three titled European aristocrats in the cast of this movie. Um, plays the doomed ingenue Lisa Reiner and her ghostly predecessor, Elena. Elka's father was a Lutheran pastor in Berlin. Her family was evacuated to a village near the university town of Erlangen in 1942, where she attended a university preparatory school. Her father died when she was 14. She worked as an au pair in England for a time in order to perfect her command of English. She was apparently spotted on vacation in Italy by uh, the director Vittorio De Sica, and if you're asking yourself, you mean that Vittorio De Sica? The answer is yes. The director of The Bicycle Thief spotted her 
and got her into movies. Wow. So, you know, keep your hopes up, people. There's always there's always a chance. Um, as long as you look like Elkie. <clears throat> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, she was a highly popular pinup girl and sex symbol. She had Playboy pictorials in 1964 and 1967. She has 77 entries in her filmography. They're mostly in Hollywood, Italian, and West German productions. And they include the Pink Panther sequel, A Shot in the Dark, with Peter Sellers in 1964. She was in the earlier Mario Bava entry, Baron Blood, with Joseph Cotton in 1972. Gosh, poor Joseph Cotton. He really, his career went down. And then, I mean, not that Baron Blood was an example of that, but still. And then, of course, she was in the Agatha Christie uh, mystery, Ten the Lindians, in 1974. Well, this As movie reminded me of that. I remember that movie. Yeah. Yeah, they could kind of get knocked off, yep, one by one. That's what um, I and thought this a, movie was going to be, because yeah. that's what it reminded me of. Yep. As of this recording, and she's still with us, mm-hmm. um, I think she may be the only still living member of the cast, and she lives in Los Angeles. Uh, everyone knows Telly Savalas, uh, 1922 mm-hmm. to 1944. My favorite part of the movie. Yep, he plays the spooky and possibly satanic role of Leandro, the major domo of the villa. I, I was sending myself after a while, says, does this villa have any other servants? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> He's obviously no, very. He does it all. Yep. He's obviously well, you know, the devil. Uh, he has lots of hands. He's obviously very well known to American audiences as the eponymous Lieutenant Theo Kojak from 1970s television. Mm-hmm. Kojak was famous for sucking on lollipops, and uh-huh. at least in the commentary track, it is noted that it is possible that this is a habit that Savalas picked up while making this movie. Uh, because he didn't do it in the first Kojak appearance on the big screen. Oh. Um, See, because I always so, heard, Faustus, that it was that he was trying to stop smoking cigarettes, and that's why he was doing the lollipop. Because I was like, a couple of times, because when he when he fucking first pulls out the lollipop, I'm like, get the fuck out of here. I'm like, this is the first movie I've ever done fan service. <laughs> but apparently it's the other way around. I mean, apparently Kojak is fan servicing this movie, except that nobody ever saw it. So I guess it can't be fan service. It's a real obscure reference. Yeah. yeah. He was born Aristotelus Savalas to a Greek-American family on Long Island. Uh, he had worked mostly in television, news, and sports in the 1950s, in which capacity he is believed to have given Howard Cosell his first job in media. Wow. Uh, moved into acting in the 1960s. He gave a me- such a memorable performance in The Birdman of Alcatraz in 1962. He got a Best Supporting Actor uh, Oscar. And of note here, given his role with Dummies, he also famously played The Father Who Hates Talkie Tina. Yep. In the mm-hmm. 1963 Twilight Zone episode, Living Doll. Perhaps of note also, he played Pontius Pilate in 1965's The Greatest Story Ever Told. Damn. Silver Cos- Never Sorry. a good guy, huh? Uh, except for Kojak. Kojak wasn't a good guy. Come Never. on, Kenneth. What, you don't like cops? <laughs> <laughs> Never seen it. Never seen Kojak. Now, Kolchak. Okay. There we go. Now you're oh, talking my stalker? language here. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Now, that, that should have been a crossover, right? Because weren't they both on ABC? Yeah, but wasn't like Kolchak in Chicago and Kojak was in New York? Uh, yeah, that's Yeah, it was New York. Of course yeah. it was New York. Yeah. It was sort of like Kojak was like the not corrupt cop. That was his big deal. Um, <laughs> that, yeah, it just happened to get his, his brother superpower. a job on the same police force. <laughs> kind, of, kind, of, kind of like Serpico, but with lots, a lot less hair and in a much more benign universe. Um, but uh, anyway, Sylvia Koshina. 1933-1944, plays Sophie Lehar. She was born in Dalmatia of a Greek father and a Polish mother. She was taken to Italy as a child by an older sister. She's Dalmatian. Long, yep. 
She is a Dalmatian. She has a long-acting career, mostly in movies I haven't heard of, with 117 entries in IMDb Pro. She has some status as a sex symbol. She posed nude in Playboy in 1975, when she would have been 42. Uh, and the roles that Americans might most likely recognize were those as the Bride of Hercules, as played by Steve Rees in Hercules at Hercules Unchained. Was that the Pablo films? What are they called? Sword and Sandal epics? Yeah, um, the, there's like an Italian word for it. They're like the Popley films or something like that. that. I think that's right, but I can't remember the name either. Um, to go on with the cast, Eduardo Fajardo, 1994, 2009 plays Francis Lehar. Um, this elegant-looking, hard-working actor appeared in 183 movies and made over 2,000 television appearances in the course of his career. He was born in Spain. He moved to Mexico in the 1950s, where he appeared in a number of many spaghetti westerns, including Django in mm. 1966. Uh, in, 19, in 2002, uh, he founded the Teatro Sin Barreras in Almera, Spain, to help people with disabilities. Uh, and I think he, he died on vacation with five of his nine children when he was 94. Um, so a good, a good long life for that guy. Oh, yeah. Gabriele Tinti, uh, 1932-1991, another Italian uh, actor with a huge number of movie credits, at least of, seven of which have the name Emmanuel in the title. <laughs> uh, he plays George the chauffeur. Uh, I will get your attention even more. He, I would like to know for Tim's benefit that he was married to actress Laura Gemser from 1976 to his death. I feel like, do you say that like I should know her name? I guess she was Emmanuel at one point? No, she was, uh, you really don't know who Laura Gemser was? No, who? She, was well, her? I mean, she was Emmanuel at many points, and uh, uh, she, you know, she was, she was probably one of the most naked actresses in Italian cinema. Um, I see, my, my Emmanuel was Sylvia Crystal. Ah, uh, I see. Well, uh, I will, I will send you some titles. Um, <laughs> don't encourage him. Yeah, <laughs> why not? I don't need it, Tim. Right. Uh, uh, Tim, it's always welcome. Though. You can get started at uh, Women's Prison Massacre. Is a good one for you. Yep. Emmanuel mm. uh, It's on the blood bank. Yes, that's right. <laughs> there probably a lot of these things are probably on the blood bank. So, knock yourself out, guy. Uh, Spartaco <laughs> Santoni, nineteen thirty-two to nineteen ninety-eight, plays Carlo. Um, he has 26 IMDb Pro movie credits. I really couldn't find much about this guy, uh, except for one tidbit in trivia on IMDb Pro, which seems very appropriate given his casting and his role. And here's it's a doozy. It goes, apart from his nine marriages, mm. he was romantically linked to Masil, Christinelle, Teresa Gimpera, Lucia Bose, Eva Morandi, Verushka van Lerndorf, Ira van Furstenberg, Edvige Finesh, Ursula Andrus, Barbara Ray, Princess Caroline of Monaco, Marissa oh. Mel, and many other celebrity women through the nineteen seventies. Damn, yeah. is this the hot one? Is this the this one? This is the chauffeur. No, this oh, is wait. the guy, this is mustache guy. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, he he was pretty yep. handsome too. Yeah, I could see yep. it. Yep. His oh, auto- oh, oh, Carlo, Carlo. Yeah. Oh, yep. Fuck. His autobiography hey, he was kind of got like an Omar Sharif thing going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His autobiography was called allegedly "The Memoirs of a Modern Casanova." Now I have I been unable it. to find this. I have been yeah. unable to find a copy of this book. I have been looking, although I did turn up one Spanish language memoir by him, which has the title "No Niega Nada 
Diario Intimo, uh, which I might yet be able to read. Um, no, I, I deny nothing, uh, an intimate diary. I bang them all. Yep. <laughs> Alessio Orano, born 1945. I guess he's also one of the uh, still living cast member. Plays Maximilian. Mm. Was obscure oh. enough that I had to go all the way to uh, the Italian language Wikipedia to find out even a little about him. Uh, he has been in nine movies. The most famous, other than Lisa, is a 1970 film called La Moglie Più Bella, that is to say, The Most Beautiful Wife, on the set of which he met his first wife, Ornella Mutti. Uh, she was 14 at the time of filming. <clears throat> uh, Relax, people. She wouldn't marry him <laughs> until she was 19. Uh, Muti <laughs> would go on to be the, the, the Princess Aura in the 1980 version of Flash Gordon. Oh, uh, oh shit, yeah. Okay. So, uh, Kathleen Leon plays Lisa's tourist friend in the opening scene. She is the daughter of producer Alfredo Leon. Franz von Treiberg, 1907-1982, is a character actor with 13 credits. He plays the antiquarian slash shopkeeper we see in the opening of the movie. He was born Franz Groff von Treuberg, which makes him the second European aristocrat in the cast. And I've saved what I think is kind of the most spectacular for last, Alida Valli, mm-hmm. 1921-2006. Her full name, bear with me here, it was, at birth was Alida, Ma- Alida Maria Laura Freien Altenburg von Mackenstein Frauenberg. <laughs> and she is thus the third European aristocrat in this cast. She's the one genuine giant in this movie, other than perhaps Charlie Savalas. Uh, in her earlier career, she was called the most beautiful woman in the world by Benito Mussolini. But she managed to stake that stigma as well and got brought to Hollywood by no less a figure than David O. Selznick, who thought that she might become the next Ingrid Bergman. Oh. Now, that might seem hubristic, but let's not forget that it was David O. Selznick who brought the original Ingrid Bergman to Hollywood. Um, so... Uh, and he also brought uh, Hitchcock to Hollywood, so he did have an eye for talent. Mm-hmm. Um, no even her summary Wikipedia entry seems to glow with huge career success. Volley worked with many significant directors, both in Italy and abroad, including Alfred Hitchcock in The Paradigm Case, 1947, Carol Reed in The Third Man, 1949, Lucchino Visconti in Senso, 1954, Michelangelo Antonioni in Il Grido, 1957, Georges Franjou in Eyes Without a Face, 1960. Mm-hmm. Pier Paolo Pasolini, Oedipus Rex, 1967. Mario Bava, the current movie under discussion. Bernardo Bertolucci in 1900 and La Luna. And Dario Argento, Suspiria in 1977. Gross. Within, within her lifetime, Valle was invested as a Knight of the Italian Republic. Uh, she received the Lifetime Achievement Golden Lion at the 1997 Venice Film Festival for her contributions to cinema. Uh, she was also grant, created a Dr. Honorius Causa at the University of Rome and was given a mem- was made a member of the a Chevalier des Arts de Lettres in France. So uh, she had a really magnificent career. Uh, and I think she carries it all. She carries herself appropriate law as a grand dame in this movie as well. So there's your cast, folks. Uh, it's a long time, but I just wanted to dive in. Oh, it's all those fucking names. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, three three aristocrats out of ten cast members. That's quite a what, uh, what languages do you speak, Faustus? I don't know. I mean <laughs> I have some contact with uh Spanish, French, Italian, German, and Russian. Um I only but, know how to cuss in Russian. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's useful. <laughs> I know Jopa. <laughs> ah. Yep. That's a useful term. 
All right. Well, <laughs> so there we are. We have the cast, yep. and um, I guess what do we do? Shall we break it down? I think we could break it down now, unless uh, Candace, you had some background stuff you wanted to drop on it. Or? No, I was looking in my AIP book, mm-hmm. and it does talk about Mario Bava a whole lot because he did work with them a whole lot, like Black yeah. Sunday, Black uh, Sabbath, and stuff like that. But this movie was not mentioned in it, other than the fact that he was sick and tired of being controlled and he wanted a more artistic license. Yep. Well, nobody would pick this movie up. Uh, and it did not have an Italian theatrical release. Uh, it was released on television in the United States in the mid-70s. I feel like but, if it was really made in the 60s, it probably would have been much bigger. Yeah, I think I agree. Yeah. Uh, I think that the fact that it came out at a time when people were looking for much sort of more explicit material might have heard it um yeah it was just out of time and out of place as are the characters in this movie exactly so uh yeah i think we can start breaking it down then we begin uh on tour we are we we should also discuss that opening credit scene though because that's oh yes please charmingly spooky it was basically you see, like a, a a picture of Telly Savalas replaced by Telly Savalas, kind of mm-hmm. grinning at us in a sinister way, um, and then we see cards being dealt that are turned over one by one, mm-hmm. showing members of the cast, uh, along with occasional tarot tropes like the demon. So that's a fun animation. That's an unusual way of doing titles. Yeah, yeah, it was good stuff. It was uh, it was lighthearted. I felt the music going with it and stuff. Yeah. I thought it was yeah. more of a... It, it kind of set the tone, though, that you're like, you're not going to watch something extreme in this movie. This movie is going to be more toned down than strip nude for your killer. Yeah. Well, that and you also get a... Uh, <sighs> right there, one point Poor <laughs> uh, You're not going to beat the opening to that movie. You're not going to beat the ending to that movie, so... <laughs> Yeah, that okay, that was a singular experience, Tim, that's for sure. And I know I, I realize it's changed your life. So I, I understand. Um so we begin with a uh, a tour that is being conducted as uh our hero of the film, Lisa, is uh walking around with the tour group and they are uh well, they're looking at a uh a fresco that is on the wall with the depiction of the devil carrying a man off. And uh, so Lisa sees that and they, they kind of remark it about how it's uh, held up over the years. Uh, and it looks just like that American actor, Telly Savalas. Yeah. <laughs> looks like Kojak. Yes, Kojak, oh. Kojak carrying off the dead. <laughs> it's even got the fucking mole on his face too. I'm like, how does this guy walk around town without people just fucking constantly going to crucify him? Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, well, it seems well, uh, like whatever he's on the streets in Toledo. No one else is around. Is, by the way. <laughs> Nobody else is ever around except the antiquarian occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I was so, going to mention that watch this on the blood bank and it's got a little fun surprise in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Cause I was like, uh, you oh. know, I stopped watching the blood bank. I, I thought it was the wrong fucking thing. I, I fast forwarded. Cause I was like, this looks like digital film. This doesn't, this yeah. can't be right. And I Some, started fast forwarding and I'm like, Oh, the, the <laughs> copy of it that's in the blood bank, I think it might've been one of them that Kyle provided for us. Um, and it has some, I don't know what these 
people are doing. They're it's YouTubers. some sort of like a, they were watching yeah. the movie and they were commentating. They were trying to be like a horror movie host. Right, right. Only without the charm. Uh, yeah, they did. They had zero charisma. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, nobody wants to see your face when we're talking about a movie. Watch the movie and then talk. There you go. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, then so she uh, she you know notices the fresco, takes takes a look at the devil Kojak, uh, dragging a man's body off, and she uh, kind of leaves from the uh, the tour group and heads off into a uh, a shop where she's she's lured away actually right she's lured away by the music right here's the music there's a music box playing a melody which we you know you might recognize as um. What is it? Rodrigo's Concierto de Aranjuez, which is a piece of music that will be played over and over again in this movie. In this movie. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I love anything involving music boxes. Those things are always something inherently creepy about music boxes, but beautiful. This one is beautiful, but yes. creepy. Yes. Um, so, yes, yeah, she's drawn into this antiquarian's shop. Uh, Notice, by the way, that there are a large number of keys in the antiquarian shop door. Yeah, there are keys all over the place. Um, which I think may be symbolic of something. I'm not entirely sure what. But we will notice that later on she will step through a keyhole-shaped gate. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, wow. It's kind of the uh, portal to and from where she's going. Yep. Yep. So she... In- so she's... So go ahead. She comes in and she says... There's a man talking. We don't see him because we see him only from behind to the shop owner who's selling him a dummy. Uh, Is it a dummy or a mannequin? Because well, they call them yeah, dummies, one. but they're, they're you know, life-size and they look mm-hmm. like people. So I just, just, and you don't like, you know, stick your hand up them to well, make them might. talk. So I just assume they're mannequins, like yeah. in tourist trap. We never saw the back of it. Yeah. I don't know. I think one of the guys in here was sticking more than a hand up one of those dummies. What, but we'll get to where that. Where did you watch this movie, Tim? Uh, on my uh, app that I have where I can find uh, stuff and watch. I was asking because, you know, I think me and Eddie both watched it on the Blood Bank. And the I don't know if it was the movie itself or just the copy we had where the sound design left a lot to be desired because there was uh, oh yeah no no because i had to read the yeah the opening where the guy's like talking about the fresco i'm like what what the fuck is i he could even not saying? hear anything here. he was saying <laughs> yeah yeah it was a little low for sure uh well so, plus yeah. like the background oh, yeah, noise the, i think the best copy i could find of it was like one and a half gigs yeah the the so the uh the Oh, shoot. I just had it in my head. Oh, the background noise was just the same volume as the people that were talking. So while I was trying to watch it, like the there would be like a car going off in the background. It would be louder than the actual actors yeah. themselves. And I was like, is this just it's our a David Lynch movie? Or- <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. one of the things that I read on it was that it was filmed without dialogue and do- dubbed over, obviously. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, maybe just a bad bad job of, of uh, dubbing over it, I suppose. But I mean, I saw this on a on, on a Kino International Blu-ray and I, I found the sound pretty much generally clear. Okay. Well, okay, maybe find it was a better just our copy copies, then. Yeah. Could be, yeah. So she asks about the, uh, the music box, you know, wondering what the price is on it. And at that moment, our man in black turns to her and she recognizes him as, well, the devil Kojak. <laughs> Uh, and gets, you know, 
kind of uh, shook by this after seeing you know, this representation of the devil in the flesh. And it looks like he recognizes her too. Yeah, too, right? yeah. Yeah, you'll get does. that a lot in this movie. Yeah, so she... Oh, well, oh yeah, I can't. Yeah. So then she uh, turns tail and heads out of the shop because she <laughs> she doesn't want any of that. But not out, not not until the, the 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 shopkeeper tells her that that box is not for sale. It belongs to uh, his friend here. So she leaves and uh, starts. Well, realizes that she's lost. She goes through a couple of. Uh, Long, winding alleyways, rounds a few corners. See a bunch of old, creepy people. Why are Italian old people the creepiest? These are Spanish people, but... Um, oh, well, close enough. Uh, yeah, I was about to say, she. I thought this was in Italy, but she spoke Spanish to someone. I don't know a yeah. whole lot of Spanish, but I do know well, Donde Esta. She's, um, she's in... This is filmed in Toledo. Oh, okay. Uh, so, uh, and the, these are the streets that you're actually seeing there. These were the ex- where the exteriors were done. I mean, they're very, you know, in that old world, charming way. But I can imagine if you're a tourist and you get lost in this labyrinthine city, it'd be pretty fucking I scary. If, if you walk out of a shop and you notice that there are no one in any street anywhere, suddenly, <laughs> yeah. you probably would be a little bit spooky. Yeah. Um, and then the few people. Except for like these two old people. Yeah. Like, right. The, the people that you encounter immediately, like, try to hide from you. <laughs> they're like, nope, don't want none of that. Getting the heck out of here. But, it has a very nightmarish characteristic. The sound, it's eerie. You can hear howling winds. There's um, obscene-sounding women's laughter in the background. Yes. At some yeah. point, as Lisa runs through the streets trying to find her way back to the square that she had left only minutes before. Um, and she does find an old woman who does ask the question, um, and, of course, the old woman just closes up um, and doesn't answer. And it has all is all like a nightmare, and then she hears that music box again. And Leandro is talking. He is talking apparently to the dummy that he's carrying, rebuking it, uh, telling it that it's a problem of some kind. He walks into this little this little intersection where Lisa is greets her very cordially, I should say. Um, Lisa asks for some directions back to the square. Uh, and he gives sort of like a you know, very vague indication with his head, you know, it's sort of over there, and then he sort of walks on. Uh, yeah, at no point well, in this Isn't this movie. the first time we see the dummy transfer into a real person? Yeah. Um, probably, when probably you, yeah. When you said dummy, I was like, eh, that, that, was, that was a guy. Yeah. <laughs> that was not a dummy. <laughs> yeah, and like you said with the uncanny, well, we definitely play with that a bit with the dummies and, and the people. It's... Yeah, kind of creepy. So Lisa goes, she she follows along, she passes through uh, the aforementioned keyhole-shaped gate. Mm -hmm. Uh, These, by by the way, these really exist in Toledo. Uh, They're a remnant of Al-Andalus, the Muslim Muslim hegemony over the region in the early Middle Ages. Okay. Um, And as she does so, she, she comes up to like a wall and meets a man with a mustache. Who's a very image of the man who, or the dummy who was with Leandro? He hasn't been identified yet. Kojak uh, before, and he calls her Elena. Uh, she resists his attempt to embrace her. She pushes him down some stone stairs, possibly killing him. Yeah, very likely killing him. <laughs> yep, his his pocket watch falls out of his rather antiquated suit, 
uh, its hands detached and forming a cross on its face. Uh, probably more symbolism of some kind. Yeah, it seems um, like everybody but the Grand Dame in this movie is wearing clothes from the 1920s. Yep. Mm-hmm. And she's wearing clothes from the 1820s. <laughs> yeah. Well, she looks like she's all wearing... all the clocks have no hands on them. Mm-hmm. She looks like she's wearing uh, Edwardian. I don't That's know That's a good the... observation, by the way. All the clocks do have new hands on them, except for these two pocket watches. Um... And I, I have, yeah, we see a lot of clock faces, actually, when we get to this villa that she's going to. As Tim has noticed, they're not. They have no hands. I think this is probably an indication that when she goes there, she has stepped out of essentially historical time. Uh, and she's now in this nightmare zone where things continually recapitulate. As for the crossed faces on the pocket watch, not sure. Uh, but I would note that a crossroads in folklore is traditionally where one meets the devil. Yep. Uh, and that may be here. At any rate, Lisa runs away. Suddenly it's night. And a wheezing, sputtering antique car approaches Lisa standing on this desolate street side. Um, the car appears to be, a, I guess, like a Packard Model 6 or something. Um, it's often breaking down. Uh, George, the chauffeur, uh, gets out. He does a temporary fix, but he says the water pump or something yeah, is broken. Yeah, said that the hose was, was uh, yep. leaking and it was losing water. So Not only... the only hose that's leaking. Yeah, what other hose is leaking, Candace? Uh, I believe the missus. Oh like yeah, this couple right here. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting. Like, yeah, he... you know, Candace, we're having a nice cultured conversation. <laughs> <laughs> huh? I'm going to be me, okay? Sorry, Faustus. Uh, well, you know, it's sort of interesting. You know, we, you know, we do get like uh, she does flag them down. They let her get into the car to go with them. We look into the back seat, and I actually felt a bit of an uncanny moment with actress Sylvia Koshina because she sits dead still yeah for like yeah. about the first five like seconds she's a mannequin right like her eyes don't move she doesn't move she she could not she doesn't look quite human then yeah, i thought i when, thought they were being very rude because yep. they picked up this person and then none of them talked to each other it's like you're not even going right. to be like oh what are you doing out here well what's your story you know like yeah. something i would do everybody just yep. stares at each other in mirrors we mm-hmm. we got we got several seconds of Loaded, tension-ridden glances being exchanged among the various characters of the car. Uh, so we're not off to that greatest start, uh, socially speaking. That is, yeah. Uh, the car sputters. It stops on a cobblestone path in front of a creepy old villa. Uh, at this point, we actually do get a line from uh, Sylvia Koshina saying, "You and your foreign cars." <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was very funny to say about a Packard. But um, uh, out of the village comes, well, who do you know? It's uh, Kojak again, except yeah. that he's actually Leandro. Yes. Uh, who's the major domo of this place. Just keep running into this guy, don't you? Yep. <laughs> Ubiquitous. Yeah, yeah. All right. So Lehar, who's like the older guy, who's an older man, um, and dressed very elegantly, I might add. I love his coat with its cape and all that. Uh, he gets out and he says, could they use the phone to call a garage? Leander says, there is no phone. They have no need for one. In the background, there is the voice of an unnamed person, the Countess, insisting that they should be sent away. Meanwhile, Lisa, who's gotten out of the car, is surprised by Max, 
a mysterious young man with a gigantic collar uh, who asks her to stay. A very nice and velvet coat. Vampire hairdo. Yep. Oh, man. He I looked was... like to me, he looked like a combination of the guy from Beyond the Valley of the Dolls and Martin Landau. He looked like uh-huh. Dorian Gray. During my notes, I just called him Dorian Gray. Okay. Okay. I could, yep. I could you, see you that. You know who Dorian Gray is. Yeah. From okay, just the Extraordinary Gentleman. No. Well, I mean, yes, but that's not <laughs> what I was referring to. Way <laughs> to go, Tim. Good call, buddy. <laughs> hey, that's got a vampire in a can. I said that you like it. Yeah, I'm not familiar with <laughs> yeah. him, but I've seen his portrait. Mrs. Vampire. So <laughs> There you go, Eddie. You know the one I'm talking about. Yeah. That's that's a, that's who he Classic, reminded me of, yeah. which also you know added to the gothic nature of the film yeah. to me. I just like the way he snuck up behind Lisa and kind of waited for her to back into him. That's always a classy move. Yeah, yeah not my fault. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you're the one that touched me. Whoa. So he goes was, in. He, sorry. Oh, I was going to say uh, he's also very beautiful. He's a very beautiful man. I think he's strange looking. But that's what adds to the appeal. You know, he doesn't look like anyone else. Other than Dorian Gray. I don't know. Those cheekbones are way too high. Oh, God forbid he have high cheekbones. What the <laughs> fuck is wrong with him? <laughs> I guess he's not Tim's type. No, not my type at all. No. Now, Kojak. I go for Carlo. Yeah. Oh, you. Carlo's got class. <laughs> he's got some money behind him, looks he's like. He's got a nice mustache. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Max goes back and goes into the villa and he pleads with his mother, the Countess. That's Ali Navali that these unexpected strangers should be allowed to stay just for one night. The Countess insists, says that they can stay, but insists that they not stay in the main house. They have to be shown to the cottage. So yeah, Leandro, three miles away. <laughs> there's a long walk <laughs> led by Leandro through some very spooky grounds mm-hmm. over a bridge past some kind of small pavilion, uh, you know, a series of columns with a statue in it. Yeah. Uh, you know how you know you're rich when you got property that's got to build a fucking bridge over a fucking river. <laughs> pond or something. Eventually they arrive at the cottage, which seems to be like actually a pretty large, substantial house in its own right. Uh, and they settle in for a little while. Yeah, and I, I did <clears throat> want to point out that during this whole time, uh, Lisa does not mention, oh, I might have accidentally killed someone. We should probably do something about that. Well, that yep. Look, that's, you think that'd be that something happens. that... <laughs> <laughs> that happened a while ago, Candace. Look, that happens all the time. Yeah. That was during the day. <laughs> to be fair, he fell down the stairs. You know, people use it as an excuse. She can pretty easily sell that one. I mean, <laughs> well, plus she... she Did you uh, see those stairs? <laughs> yeah, those those look like neck-breaking stairs, if I ever saw them. Those were, yeah. That was rough. Yeah. And they go over them in the dark, and they're all covered with moss, and yeah. Yep. So, you know, Lisa emerges inside the cottage. He perhaps has taken a bath. Uh, here's that sound of that music box again. While Sylvia is seen in the glass of a grandfather clock, which the face of which we do not see. And she's wearing this striking green gown. Um, she heads off to an assignation with good old George. Um, there is a rather coy lovemaking scene. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to see more of Sylvia Cushion's breasts, you can do so in the House of Exorcism version. Um, Tim, you need to stay where you are right now. Contains the same scene. (laughs) I just get my phone ready. (laughs) So 
Back to Lisa's room, she knocks a pocket watch off her desk accidentally. It falls on the floor and breaks, leaving the hands in the same cross pattern we saw in Carlo's mm-hmm. watch when he fell down the stairs back in I Toledo. thought it was the same watch. Yeah. I did well, want to, maybe uh, it is the same watch. Yeah. It could, yeah, it could be the same watch. I did want to point out that she just starts putting on powder that she finds there. And mm-hmm. I'm like, that's not going to work. That's not going to match her skin tone. You can't just put on random powder. Oh, it's you put on is it, enough of it, is it and it'll random? work. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. The real question might be, is it random? Who left Fair that point? Who did this belong to before? Hmm. Um, then there's some kind of spooky noise outside. Lisa runs around locking doors and windows. But, of course, she's too slow. An apparition appears at the bathroom window. Oh, no, it's Carlos. He's coming in. Um Lisa flees the cottage. She finds Carlos advancing on her and continuously going only to run smack into Max. Meanwhile, Carlo reappears, but here as his dummy. Yeah. By Leandro. Um, oh, the house is full of these. <laughs> yeah, I might leave at this point. Um, yeah. I, I went in the car. Fuck that yeah, shit. Yeah. I'm going to go sleep in the car. You guys have fun in the cottage with Creepy. I, that's what I did in Dungeons & Dragons. That's what I do when I got the car. I hide in the car. Yep, that's true. <laughs> Leandro presents to her the last rose of the season. You know, white rose, which is somehow growing in the garden. We'll be seeing that rose again, too. But first, the dinner scene. Beginning with the, with a close-up shot of a taxidermied rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> um, very spooky. Um, which, you know, to which, of course, Leandro is talking, offering it a radish. Don't you want a radish? <laughs> They're very good. That's uh, so fine. I want to tax it. Savalas does this sort of line of patter all the way through the movie, and it's very funny. Yeah, he just talks like, to himself the whole time. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, oh, who else did you really have to talk to? I mean... Um, there's small talk at the dinner, interrupted by the appearance of the Countess, who alleges the existence of another person. Yeah. Not the chauffeur. The oh, fifth yeah, guest. Mm. The fifth person. A fifth person has come. Um, Sylvia goes on a little prattle about how easy it is to imagine a mysterious visitor here, how they could themselves be acting out some sort of gothic gothic story i did like the line about vampires versus ghosts yes she like she likes oh if you have the exact line go ahead i don't have the exact Mm -hmm. line i remember it as ghosts are so much more human yeah she said i prefer ghosts to vampires though they're so much more human they have a tradition to live up to somehow they manage to keep all the horror in without spilling any blood which is true not really any bloody ghost stories. Lots of bloody vampire stories, though. Uh, bloody Mary would beg to differ with you. It's in her name. And that's a Whoa, ghost. Gotcha oh, there, Candace. Oh, <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> Well, actually, Candace, Bloody Mary would beg to differ. <laughs> I was just in her name, though. I don't think she was particularly bloody in any way, but... but uh... I don't know. I don't know, actually. I just know she, she eats children that say your name too much, I guess. It's like a Candyman kind of vibe. Well, I mean, that's what yeah, I you do. You get blood on you like that way, right? True. If you say mom True. one more time, you wait and see what happens. Ah, <laughs> uh, there you go. Yeah, that, that tracks. That tracks. <laughs> so, and I just have what to... What if they say it backwards three times? <laughs> or it takes away down. my power. <laughs> And I just I just wanted to point out, by the way, that when the countess, whenever she enters a room, 
everything stops and it's it's not just the direction of this it's her presence uh in the film is just insane <laughs> like oh, yeah. so good she takes up a lot of space for being so so small of a Oh yeah. Yes. yes. But now there's an eerie noise, a thunk comes from upstairs. And we get a look upstairs in some dark room. We see clocks without hands. And the countess's comment was, I told you he'd be back. A wine bottle breaks. We see Leandra's face reflected in the blood red liquid. But then Leandra goes and brings in the cake. Yeah. Ah, who Even cares? Everybody, let's have cake. Their whole <laughs> spread. They got that rare roast beef. They got, uh, yep. I think it looks like cherries on the platter. Like, it mm-hmm. looks good. Yeah, they have dinner like this every single fucking night. That's some kitchen staff they must have. <laughs> it's just Telly Savalas. <laughs> yeah, it's just Leandro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no one knew he was actually a, a world-class chef when they hired him. That was incidental. <laughs> Leandro has brought in the cake. Max takes a piece upstairs. And as Max goes upstairs carrying this piece of cake, we hear sounds, weeping, keening, or something like that. Max steps behind a mirrored wall, and he offers the cake to an unseen figure. It's with chocolate sprinkles, your favorite. But then he rebukes... He starts screaming something about how Lisa is tearing him apart. Did you know he was back? Shut (laughs) up. So I didn't know what? Did you know he was back? Mm. Yeah. The weeping turns to moans. Oh, I uh, I've, I put it right here in my notes. I'm calling it right now. Lisa is the crying woman in the bed, and he's talking about the ghost of the man getting between them. They're all stuck in a time loop being punished for their sins over and over again. <laughs> uh, I mean, I... Candace's writing these notes half an hour after she watched the movie in the front of her notes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I've read too many books. I've watched too many stories. You know what, Tim? I'm beginning to feel like you and I are getting trapped in the same scenario over and over again, where Candace watches (laughs) movies and predicts their outcome in the beginning. (laughs) Almost. So, Candace, when you saw The Sixth Sense for the first time, like what? You found out as soon as he killed uh, the Wahlberg in the bathroom? No, that that one took me by surprise. Okay. (laughs) So did Meanwhile. Outside, George, the hardworking chauffeur, is busy tape, duct taping the Packard's water system back together while chatting with Leon. It's nice to know that even in hell or limbo or whatever dimension this is, duct tape still is a miracle thing, right? It really is. God still bless works. duct tape. Yep. All it took was a little tape, uh, and which leads, of course, to Leandra's observation: most things aren't that easy to mend. Mm-hmm. Um, well, here's a creepy scene that I liked in the movie. Is it's uh, while the guy's bent over fi- fixing it, he's talking to Telly Savalas, and it sounds like he's right behind him. And then the camera cuts, and he's all the way across like a gigantic pool. Yep. And I think the driver even says, "Oh, I thought you were right here next to me." Yes. So we are back in the room. It's after dinner. The Lihars are sitting around with Lisa. Uh, Francis invites her to leave with them, but Leandro says that Lisa will be staying. Yeah, and she's not like, excuse me, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to stay here. She's just, she's just standing. She's just sitting there, just, just taking three days. It. He yeah. said, I think too, right? For at least three days. Yeah, just taking it all in. Yep. The countess, by now, who is here revealed to be blind, feels the face of Leandro, and she asks Leandro to describe her. These are fine lines of dialogue, and they're done over uh, uh, now an orchestral version 
uh, of Rodrigo's concierto, um, the eyes, Leandro. I love these dialogues. Changeable, my lady, but by candlelight, blue. The hair, light and gently flowing. I mean, he, he, Savalas is so smooth in his delivery. Yeah, here. he's a smooth mm-hmm. motherfucker. Uh, yeah, plus at least he's saying nice things. He's not like, take her or leave her. Yep. <laughs> he's he's not saying something along the lines of he's not Nagana. She's Tim. not anything to write home about. <laughs> Tim, I've warned you about that word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at least he's saying complimentary things, even though she's standing right there while as they openly discuss her features right in front of her. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So upstairs, Max, who's wandering around, finds a picture of a woman named Elena, who, gosh. Turns out to be the spinning image of Lisa, but with curly hair. The curls, yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, he pulls it out of the volume he finds it in and sets it on fire. Uh, then we get fast cuts between Lisa and the burning photograph, just to drive the point home. Uh, Lisa stares at the music box, fascinated. Um, and Frank goes out to see how George is doing with the car. I gotta the, say, I really love the design on the music box that they have here, too. And and just yep. the the shot of this where they're intercutting between the figures on the movie uh, the music box and the the characters in the movie is, is again playing with that whole theme of uh, the uncanny and the what is a doll what is a human what is mm-hmm. yeah very striking. I mean it's a, it's interesting because the figures on the music box while they are clearly artistically I guess kind of naive might be the way you might describe them. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're not great. Um do seem almost a little more human than the dummies. Yeah. Um, which I guess is, you know, this is an, unca- an example of the uncanny valley being illustrated. Um, like as you get closer and closer to human, but not quite, you get ickier and ickier. Yeah. Whereas these are, whereas the music box figures, you know, where you have a bride uh, and king and queen and a peasant man and also the figure of death. Yep going round and round on a kind of carousel to the music. Um, they are a little more appealing in some ways. Um, and Lisa is watching this music box as if hypnotized. Although the music only comes back, this is hilarious, when Leandro shows up with a tape recorder. Yeah. You know, clearly like a contemporary <laughs> yeah. object from 1970, yeah. sticks it in the music box and says, I find invariably, Miss Lisa, there's a very simple explanation for almost everything. Yeah. Uh, was, so this so is was, a good... Was the implication that the music from the music box was actually just a tape recorder? I think so. Because uh, he's playing it on the tape recorder, right? Uh, and I think that it's probably, it's kind of a joke um, where you're saying, you know, in fact, this thing, which looks like it's a, you know, you know or, at, or best an early modern artifact, uh, and it's almost a medieval clockwork feel to it, doesn't really work unless you stick in this modern thing. Um, so, yeah. And, and also that, you know, that, that the world is full of deceptions. Yeah. So it also implies Lisa's, that Leandro's just been following her around everywhere with a tape recorder, playing that same mm-hmm. song over and over. Again. <laughs> <laughs> the, the devil's work is never done. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, maybe that's the thing to make her doubt. Like what's going on? Like I'm hearing that music. Oh, look, it's mm. just a, it's just a recording True. on a tape yeah. recorder. True. Whether or not she's hearing it all the time. Like the fuck with them. Like the devil would be known to do. Uh, indeed. 
But Lalisa becomes almost hypnotized. And now she's, she's Elena. And she's out in the gardens, which look a little bit better cared for in this particular shot than they do before. Uh, and there's a, she's out by the stone pavilion with the columns. Uh, we see the statue, which appears to my eye to be actually, to be a statue, I think, of Bacchus, um, because of his accompaniment with dogs and grapes. That would track, yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's a romantic encounter with Carlos. He says, I've come back, had to come back to try to help you in some way. Um, we get a shot, then we cut into Leandro's workshop, which is a well-appointed bedroom, but with lots of dummies and wa- genuine, like kind of like fashion dummies mm-hmm. and wax heads. Yeah, he um, he gets a lot of head there. I saw this as almost ah. a callback to um, the nineteen sixty. Candice, Candice, Candice. What? Think back to, <laughs> think back to nineteen sixty-four as Black Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is actually set in a fashion house and is also full of dummies and heads and things like that. Yeah. Um, and also probably, you know, possibly also a tribute to the fact uh, by Mario Bava that his father was a sculptor and so would have made, you know, like things like out of yeah, wax. Yeah, that makes sense. So, um, but that's, that, you know, this is the Andrew's workshop. We go back to the romantic encounter between now we have a romantic encounter between Lisa and Max, which is taking place in the present, whatever that means in this context. And then back to the music box, which stops, and we see the figure of death on the music box. So it's kind of like a lot of weird stuff happened just sitting around after dinner. Yeah, it's a it's a lot of dream like uh uh sequences. Where it's like she's okay. What do I have in my notes here? Uh, she's having memories of a former life. I'm guessing it's might be Regency age, but then I saw the Carlos's clothes, and I'm like, no, mm. probably the 1920s. Yeah, it looks early 20th century. Her her but I mean, Lisa slash Elena's gown. God knows where that's from. <laughs> yeah, wow. at yeah. first I was like, maybe really risque Regency, but I was like, N-. then I saw his suit and I was like, no, that's definitely not right. Yep, <laughs> it's a hell of a gown. But though. green, green was very popular in the nineteen twenties. Yep. So Sylvia goes out She's to the like car. A fucking peacock. Yeah, that's true. It, it is be very peacocky. Sylvia goes out to the car. Where is George? What's the matter? And he opens the door, and there is poor George. <laughs> he falls out. His throat is cut. We see a shot of the Countess walking away with a pair of bloody scissors. Uh-oh. So George shows up with a cart to carry Ex-hack. George hack. <laughs> I was sort of like, I had a query in my notes at this point. It says, is this, is this body cart a piece of standard household equipment? Um, are they always carrying <laughs> yeah. off bodies here? It looks like a drink tray that they're just kind of using as a body cart. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he uses a lot of things with wheels on if, for to, toting shit back and forth. Yep. I mean, Tim, you, if you've got a body cart, you're going to want some wheels on it, buddy. Well, <clears throat> like the, you know, the servant knows where all the bodies are buried, right? Yeah, yeah, true. So there's a grim procession with the house, with the, uh, you know, the weeping Sophia Lehar. They go back behind, you know, through past the dining room and behind this gorgeous Art Nouveau window. Um, oh yeah, you know, the, yeah. That's such a great the, shot the, where you see the, just the oh, silhouettes of them behind that, and 
yeah. the body up front. I just have they're having a they're giving the dead body a tour of the house. See, because he's they been are. outside <laughs> the whole time. He didn't get yeah, to see any right. of this stuff, man. I love well, that. Well, he's a chauffeur, so you don't let the help in the house, right? But if they're dead, and you might get make, uh, in trouble. Make an exception when they're dead. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I love that window. I want that for my house. Um, so but we do see the characters in silhouette. Uh, then there's a funny scene with Leandro. I think this is the scene where you have Leandro and um, Mr. Lehar standing at the bottom of the stairs. And Leander actually bums a, c- a cigarette. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> he bums the cigarette from him. <laughs> and uh, right, right, right after that is when, yeah, the countess comes, starts coming downstairs. He's like, oh, shit. Puts the cigarette. It's like, uh, you probably shouldn't smoke in here. She, uh, she'll get pissed off at you. Like, be cool. <laughs> Just be cool. <laughs> So uh, is that why he has a lollipop in this movie? So when he smokes a cigarette, she won't smell it on his breath. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when well, they you see kiss, him like swirl it around tell. his mouth. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and we also get a shot of Max in the mysterious upper chamber, uh, or sorry, Carlos in the mysterious upper chamber, pulling aside the veil that shows what's ever on the bed up there. Um, yeah. This is the room that Max had insisted he would never enter, but you know what does Max know? Um, He's really he's like a very ineffectual villain. Um, Leandro ad- advises Mr. Lahar to leave, and the con- the Countess insists to Max that it's time to get rid of Lisa. Or sorry, to I think it's Leandro. It's time to get rid of Lisa. But Max, of course, has other ideas. He's busy romancing Lisa out in the creepy gardens. Um, oh, I love these love these being, gardens. It's such yep, a gothic really setting. Feels, it feels like the Adams family house. It's got lots of fog and dead and overgrown gardens with crumbling statuary in it. I was yep. like, oh, man, yep. I would live here. <laughs> it was definitely made to order for the Gothic. Um, meanwhile, you know, Max is being stalked by his mother. Um, and they have another one of those, these arguments where he says, I have only the greatest regrets for what I have not done. Max leads, the Countess leads Max off. Now, Lisa, meanwhile, is spying on a chapel on the grounds of the villa. Who is well, and then she's accosted by Carlos, who like you know puts his hand over her mouth and demands that she be quiet. Leandro shows up and carries what looks like a dummy into the chapel. Um, Carlos goes to see what Leandro is up to, and Leandro appears to be setting up for a funeral with some nasty Undertaker stuff um, and <laughs> a bit of a hilariously improvised song. Um, he breaks a corpse's legs to get it to fit into its coffin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the dummy's legs. Yep. Who's going to know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Reference to sure Lovecraft, by the way. Yes, that's right. That's right. Um, it, what is it called? The, uh, the, the Undertaker or some story like that. Uh, yes, you're right. Yeah. It, oh, God, it's the tip of my tongue. In the vault. In the vault. In the vault. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Yes. Um, so whatever is in the coffin appears to be Carlos, but of course Carlos is running around outside the chapel as well. So, yeah, you know, and we're playing fast and loose with what is and is not a Carlos in this movie. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. There, there are many, many Carloses. This apparition chases Lisa back into the mirror house, where she tears upstairs and, and then disappears into what appears to be an abandoned upper part of the house. Um, like the, it looks like possibly the people who quote, live, unquote, in this particular villa, only occupy a certain portion of it and are allowing the rest of it to fall apart. 
um, which is actually not that unusual in ancient European houses of this kind. Yeah, who can Lisa, pay for that upkeep? No one yeah, can. Yeah, just Telly Savalas. What that, the fuck is he going to do? He's going to make a cake. Certainly <laughs> not a bunch of ruined European aristocrats who have to turn to acting to make a living. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, so Lisa goes upstairs. She finds Leandra's workshop, which is this place with wax heads and dummies. And Carlos reaccosts her here, all the while addressing her as Elena. Yeah, and I have a note here that his workshop looks a lot like my recording room now, because I've got uh, the, I've got the glass head over here uh, to to the one side, and I've got little Timmy sitting in his little chair over there, uh, my uh, ventriloquist dummy, and of course all of the bottles of liquor strewn about. <laughs> Well, okay. so <laughs> do you have dummies? Uh, just one, yeah. Oh. Just, uh, just yeah. little it's Timmy. It's talking right now. My, my ventriloquist. <laughs> <laughs> she says. Man, I'm funny. <laughs> so anyway, downstairs, Sylvia is boarding George, but she's dragged off by Frank. Um... Frank pulls her away from George, out to the car, slips her into the front seat. She says, I'm not coming with you. But Frank makes a bad mistake. He walks around in front of the car. I don't do that. Uh, Just as Sylvia jumps into the driver's seat, rams the car into the gear, then runs Frank (laughs) over, then runs him over Over again, and over and over over again. again. Very good. Are we sure he's dead enough, Sylvia? Well, I guess so. Um, (laughs) That's some rage. This is all dispassionately watched by Leandro from his uh, bedroom window upstairs. So, okay, now Frank, now Frank is done. Um, Carlos, meanwhile, is busily busy trying to make love to Lisa in Leandro's workroom before being bludgeoned to death by an unknown assailant, who, for some reason, is witnessed by Sylvia, who I guess has wandered back into the house after running over Frank multiple times. Yeah. Um, Timing is a little yeah, it's off. A good on jump, that, but yeah, was, there might be a missing scene or something that ended up on the cutting room floor there. Um, but Sylvia is now chased back into the abandoned zone of the house. She runs upstairs and upstairs. She ends up into this like rotting bathroom where she unshutters a window um, in hopes of escape. But the window, of course, has been barred over. She screams for help, but of course, there is no help. She's backed up against the wall. And then my note says, "How is that dress staying on?" Um, and, Barely. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If it just didn't pull back just half a second enough. more, it's staying um, on to the chagrin of Tim. Yeah. <laughs> Not just the chagrin of me. Uh, you know the, the the commentary track by the guy who wrote this book on Mario Bava says, "I'd rather watch this jiggle than see a topless scene anytime." Um, <laughs> but uh, she is then bludgeoned to death by an assailant who this time turns out to be Max. Oh dear. I- just assume that he was the one who also killed the chauffeur, because then yeah, he would leave. I think I think that I think that that is in fact the case, and we'll have evidence for this at the end of the movie. Yeah, uh, in spite of the fact that we saw the countess walking away with bloody shears. Yeah, she could have um, just picked him up because she was trying to right. cover up for her feeble son. Or she I just agree. picked them up. How'd she see them? Yeah. She might well, not have, you can't, even, leave, can't leave these things just lying around. That's messy. Yeah, she um, might not have even known they were bloody. She's blind, remember? She's like, somebody left yeah. the fucking scissors out again. I better go put them away. God damn it. 
Why is this handgun just sitting around? Um, <laughs> so we get we cut to a shot. To a shot. The Countess is, is kneeling on a piedu on the chapel. Leandro brings in the Carlos dummy. It needs fixing because it's like its face is broken. Okay. Lisa is there again. Yep. Lisa is passed out on the floor. Meanwhile, Leandro goes about his business. And he does this amazing patter. I, this, is that, I, I can't reproduce it. It kind of has to be you know, heard to be believed. Um, but it begins with, you know, them and their traditions. Tradition, the Countess says. More work, I say. What does tradition mean to a poor devil like me? Um, and then he's talking about, well, the dummies maybe, but maybe not. They break. They snap. They pop. They crackle. And, you know, he's, it's a, he goes into a self-pitying rant about how he's the one who has to fix everything. Um, I guess clearly I, overworked. Yeah. But a boy is in a performance by Telly Savalas. Yeah. I mean, it's great. Man, I mean, delivery it, is phenomenal. It sounds he's really, like he's the best part of the movie. Definitely. It sounds to me like he's improvising it, but I don't think he was probably. Um, because it's a, it's in, he was probably a really good improviser, but it sounds almost a little too good. Um, and now I have another puppet to make. He says, turning to Lisa, who's passed out on the floor. Lucky for me, you look just like her. Same measurements. Yep. So the countess down in the chapel with the dummy in the coffin, giving her peroration. You came back for her, but not for me, your wife for her. Uh-oh. Well, we're beginning to get a sense of what the triangle in this miserable family mm-hmm. was. Um, Leandro is busy taking measurements of Lisa, and he looks at her. Is this the face that launched so many deaths? Um, which I guess is a reference to Elena slash Helen, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, Leandro lays out all the family relationships and notes, by the way, as Lisa revives, that Carlos is, in fact, dead. Yeah, he tries to kiss her awake, all the sleeping beauty, and then he slaps her mm-hmm. awake. <laughs> Never mind. Whatever works. <laughs> yep. So Lisa flees through the ruined part of the house and returns to where Sophia was bludgeoned, finding the Countess leaning over her. She flees again, screaming for Max. Max finds Leandro and dispatches him to find Lisa. Lisa finds Max, but they have to hide from Leandro, who is looking for them, but doesn't, somehow doesn't seem to be trying very hard to find them. Um, Lisa and Max, you know, in a conversation, get together and agree to try to leave the villa. Yeah. But for, yeah, he's, oh, we're going to leave together, start a new life. And he tells her she's even more beautiful than Eleanor. Oh, Yes. But, of course, first he has to show her something. Yeah. You know what? The guy's already creepy enough. He's like, look, we're going <laughs> to get out of here. bad mood, dude. Come <laughs> yeah. on. Yeah. If we're yeah, going to get out of here, no. Nah, You've got a car. You can clean it up a little bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Most likely she's only agreeing to go away with you just to get the fuck out of this house and get back to somewhere there's people. Exactly. Well, plus she, put this on top of it. Well, yeah. Plus she clearly can't not do what she's told. She's like Ella Enchanted. Did <laughs> yeah, you ever watch that movie? She has so to do true. everything she says. <laughs> yeah, Carlos is like, hey, wait here. She just stands there. She's like, okay, you're going to leave <laughs> yeah. with me. Like, all right, I'm going to leave with you. Max is like, nah, forget what he said. He's dead. You're going to leave with me. She's like, yep, I guess so. 
I guess that's just <laughs> yeah, whatever much. anybody tells me. I'm, you know what? That's got to be great for a director. Stand here, do this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so, Max shows Lisa the bedchamber, oh. the bedchamber behind the mirrored wall where the crying and the keening came from before. And he introduces first, we see a spooky chamber full of desiccated pieces of cake. Lots and lots of them. Candace, lots did you get lots of them? Candace, did you Lay get down. mad because you wanted the cake? Well, I was actually thinking about a conversation I had with my husband yesterday because he prefers cake over pie. No, he's wrong. He is wrong. He's yep. insane. He's completely insane. That's an insane person's perspective. Why mm-hmm. would you say something like that? Shouldn't you find that out before you got married and had two kids? <laughs> um. Before we get married, what are what are your feelings about cake versus pie? Because <laughs> this could be a deal breaker. Yeah. <laughs> How long does the pie have to be in the oven before it's an actual pie? What? Tim, that's an insane old question. Si- old Seinfeld reference. Oh, God. Okay, that makes sense. Because <sighs> it's stupid. Yep, yep. So, yeah, like you were saying, goes to uh, show Lisa... Elena, a desiccated corpse. Yeah, his old friend. <laughs> and you Lisa know, begins... It's never sorry, a good go idea to introduce the, the girl you're currently wooing to your ex. To your old flame. <laughs> <laughs> but, he, he, so, but, you know, he's not the one that was the Casanova. Oh, that's true. That's no, true. that's right. That's right. Uh, we'll find out what his problem is shortly. <laughs> um, Lisa, Lisa begins to freak out, which seems understandable under the circumstances. Mm-hmm. And Max deals with this problem by promptly chloroforming her. That's mm-hmm. how, uh, like how he just has a bottle of it right on his dresser, or right in the dresser with the dead woman. Why mm-hmm. is he? The chick's already dead. The other one. Why? He's had he several chlor- decades to plan this, I guess. And um, uh, <laughs> it's a good. So point. he. he he chloroforms her. He lays her out on the bed next to the corpse of Elena. Yeah. When Lisa is fully unconscious, he strips her and then attempts to have sex with her. Rape and necrophilia. Wow. Yeah. Uh, this movie has really, <laughs> has really t- turned it up to 11 here. And I just I but, have the note here real quick. How could Candace not enjoy this? I actually did like this scene. Oh, of course you did. Because it was like, because <laughs> it's good. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, a, it's really like a fucked up and not really gory, but just without being really explicit, just the implications of everything yeah. is yeah. is real, really key. The and fact we're having like a like monster that. mash three-way going on here, it it's, uh, <laughs> really adds to it. Not to mention the dude's hot, so, you know, I was into it. Yep. Pa- I mean, he's, he gives really, this... he's really good looking and he's problematic. He is right up my alley. <laughs> I mean, he gives his little speech beforehand, you know, which is basically... With you, it will be different. It has to yeah. be different. It has probably because you're alive. Sort of, you, sort of, you can probably see his confidence dropping with like every sentence that he, he says. He probably shouldn't have given this speech. Um, it will be different with you. But of course, it isn't. Uh, and then there's mocking laughter from the direction of the corpse. Uh-huh, you can't um, get it up. Yep. Uh, so now, probably boiling over and with sexual and Satan knows whatever other kind of frustration. Max goes downstairs to the chapel and goes on a funeral wrecking rampage. Yeah, I just have um, uh, impotent rage. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Literally. 
It is revealed that perhaps Max killed Elena. He reveals also that he killed the rest of the visitors in order to keep them from taking Lisa away. Mm -hmm. His mother, always trying to calm the situation down, uh, insists that Max just can never leave and that Lisa must disappear. Um. Because if anyone goes away, you know, people will come and start inquiring. Yeah, yeah. That yep. what he did. They were able to cover up what he did with the first time, but now he's killed like what five fucking people. Yep, it's gonna be a little hard to cover it up. This confrontation ends with the countess being run through with some sort of sharp object and killed by Max. So then he Max can get heads- it up after that. By the way, now that yeah. the the shrew of a mom is dead, he's fine. He finds a special purpose. <laughs> yep. Max heads back upstairs and finds that all the candles have been lit. He calls out for Leandro, and then he stumbles into the dining room and looks and finds a table set in a parody of The Last Supper, by the way, mm-hmm. um, with all the corpses of all the people he has killed in this house. George, Carlos, Elena, Frank, and Sylvia. Someone's cleaned them up a little bit um, and then posed them at the table. A wedding cake, uh, besmirched with cockroaches and slugs, uh, is standing on the table. And we have an interesting shot where we have the wedding cake in the foreground, which then dissolves into the skull-like face of Elena. Well, yeah, because um, he, he commented when, when he was wrecking the place, all sad boy style, that uh, he, he did not want a funeral procession. He wanted a wedding, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I, I guess he's kind of got what he wanted here. Uh, maybe, maybe not exactly how he pictured it. Maybe not, because, of course, then the corpse of his mother enters. He backs up. And know. she's on wheels, right? Well, I mean, she's, she's implied that she might be, this might be a dummy of her being carried by Leandro. Um, that's how it looks when he, after he falls out a window, um, through that beautiful Art Nouveau window, and he impales himself on a spike, mm-hmm. um, bringing end of end of end of Max. But one of the things that's really wonderful is as he's going backwards, there's a camera cut back to the table, and we see that all the corpses have turned their heads to watch him fall out the window. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's a remarkably creepy shot. Oh yeah. Uh, and I, oh, that's really well done. I just have I, I, I you know all that stuff with the du- dummies, the dolls, the mannequins, or whatever you want to call them. That's like the creepiest stuff in the whole movie. Oh yeah, yeah. I, and I just have a note here that that uh, when when you're planning out your uh, your massive uh, gothic mansion that you're living in, uh, make sure you put these spikes away from the windows. Yes. Yeah, at least like ten feet away, yeah. right? At least that way you have to ju- run and jump out the window. Oh, yeah, yeah. You need to get, like, launched out there. You can't just stumble backward <laughs> out of a window onto them. That's that's just poor planning. Yep. Amateur hour. So, end of him. Cut to Lisa you know, lying on the bed, naked except for a couple of leaves covering her. <laughs> um, the room is overgrown with plants. And the whole villa is decaying as if it had been abandoned for decades. Uh, she sits up and she's distraught. Then she looks to her right and notices that the corpse of Elena has disappeared. Yeah, we've all been there, gentlemen. Yep. Wake up, you roll over, <laughs> empty bed, mm-hmm. leaves all over I you. Thank God she's already gone. 
I put, uh, boy, I've been there, waking up naked and confused in an abandoned house, having weird dreams about a past life. With leaves on you in a house? You had leaves on you? Was there a roof on this house? They were doing like a Garden of Eden thing. (laughs) So we have a soft focus shot of Lisa, who's now managed to get redressed somehow, um, walking out of the ruined villa. Amidst the tangled undergrowth of the grounds, and it's now really overgrown and all the statuary is broken, she encounters a dummy of Max, yeah. which pathetically shares a voice, pathetically pleading with her not to leave. <laughs> really, um, and he's no longer a factor. So. <clears throat> I swear, it works now. Yeah, <laughs> it can't not be hard. Leandro <laughs> fixed it. It's hard as wood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you hear the sound of children, little girls playing outside the villa. Schoolgirls. Um, she steps through like a crack in the wall, essentially. A little ball bounces in her bounces her way, uh, which is, by the way, uh, a tribute to Kill Baby Kill 1966 because a bouncing ball plays an important mm. part there. Um, she picks up the ball and she's about to toss it back, um, and but the girls run away. Someone says, "Hey, come back! She's a ghost. Nobody has lived there for a hundred years." Yeah, and I just have I'm going to teach my daughters to do this whenever a stranger tries to interact with them in public. Ah, it's a ghost, and then run away. <laughs> it works. Yeah. <laughs> They'll even question their own existence. <laughs> yeah. So Lisa walks back into the streets of Toledo. Now they're all lit with bright sunshine. She walks back through the keyhole gate and into the square, and it's now busy with life again. It's back. She's back in what you'd expect uh, 1970s Toledo to look like with tourists and taxi cabs and guys on motorbikes and stuff like that. Um, somewhere down a side street, she tosses away a ball, which ends up at Leandro's feet. He's talking to the antiquarian, who has a dummy of Lisa, who says you know, he apologizes for it's not being done very well, but she didn't have much time. And Leandro simply looks at it sadly and says, I'm afraid it's all too late. So Lisa gets into a taxi, and then we cut to a jetliner, which Lisa boards, which it immediately takes off. Notice um, she's wearing a hemp necklace. I did not realize yeah. that people wore those before the 90s. Oh, no. Yeah, picked it up at the airport gift shop, probably. <laughs> yeah. On her way out of Spain. Um, and only when the plane is long, well, put in the airport, at least look around and notice that there doesn't seem to be anybody else on this plane. You just row after row of empty seats. She walks through it, and it's a long walk because this is a 747. It's a Langoliers. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, Langoliers, you hacks. Um, <laughs> she walks through it, and it's all empty until she gets back to the very last rows and finds all the people that were the dead from the villa, their dummies, sitting in seats. Yeah, they were all up in first class. That's why she didn't see them when she loaded up and went into business. I see. I think they were in coach. It looked like she was walking to the back of the Yeah, plane, she was right? in first class because she's like up near like, you know how they have the stairs up to the upper lounge? Oh, the, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Plus, also, she should, should have known something was wrong with as soon as she gets on the plane and she's able to sit wherever she wants. Yeah, it's a good point. Nobody's kicking the back of her seat. Well, this was, what, the 70s? So, you know. The jet Nobody's set trying. lifestyle was a lot different back then. Hmm. Nobody's trying to stuff a bicycle into one of the overhead bins. You know, that's <laughs> um, so Lisa is terrified. She tears back through the plane, 
runs all the way to the front and pounds on the cockpit door, which mysteriously enough opens. And who do you think is flying on the plane? Well, it's Leandro. He turns around and says, what can I do for you, miss? Cut back and we see a dummy of Lisa slash Elena in that mysterious dress of hers collapsing to the floor. And that's the movie. That is it indeed. So okay, now we get to what do you think this movie was about? What was right. the plot of this movie? So that's, yeah, probably the, uh, that's the question of the day. Tim, what do you think the movie? No idea. This movie, I have written down a couple of times. I'm like, what the fuck is going on in this movie? You didn't have like a theory or anything? I got like like Faust said in the beginning. It looked like it was something like they were just going to keep doing over and over and over again because that's why. I guess that's kind of like why the old man is like apologizing why it takes so long to make her doll because she was like supposed to be the least one, the last one to show up and make the whole thing go because he had all the dolls for everybody else already ready to go, right? Right, right. Well, um, the Carlos dummy right was the last one that we saw Leandro getting. Okay. I'll venture a theory. Okay. Um, it's only one. It's only one possible reading of the movie, which is that the characters in this movie are stuck in some kind of opposite of purgatory. By opposite of purgatory, I mean that um, in purgatory, and according to Catholic doctrine, which of course you know, Mario Bava would have probably known quite well. Uh, basically, you go to expiate your sins, but you are inevitable. If you go there, like you, you basically you're purified, you're punished. But if you go there, you will eventually get, you will eventually be saved. You'll eventually go to heaven. Um, it's not like a, it's a kind of you know, trial place where you might go either direction. This is kind of an anti-purgatory. It's kind of an antechamber to hell. Uh, that what is happening here is these characters are doomed to keep reenacting the past, but that Elena or Lisa somehow got out of, got out of sync with them. Uh, and it's only when her reincarnated version comes back that they can get out of this antechamber to hell and go to hell. Uh, and that is where the plane is going at the end, uh, which is why, which is why Leandro is flying it. So, uh, that is what I suspect is actually, this is a story about a completed damnation, but that's, that's my reading. Hmm. It's a little dark. Gotcha. What about you, Candace? Any, any thoughts on the, uh, the overall meaning of Lisa and the devil? Well, I just thought it was a sort of a, I guess, I don't know, not really a cautionary tale, but they're doomed to reenact their because they've all of them have like sinned in some way right and so this is their version of hell is they're just going to keep doing this over and over and over again for as long as it takes as long as i guess leandro feels like tormenting them and i don't know i'm not catholic so i don't really know that much about purgatory or anything like that but but yeah it's uh i mean it's pretty obvious that like she was reincarnated at some point, so she did break free from that cycle, but then she gets pulled back into it, and now she's stuck in it again. And so they're probably going to find themselves again lost in Toledo and, you know, Toledo and fi- winding up at the house again, is what I think. 
Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the reading I was getting of what was a uh, Silent Hill kind of a situation, right? Where you've got, she needs to maybe be reminded of what her uh, her predecessor, her uh, who, you know, committed the, 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 the crimes, Elena, uh, what what she had done wrong uh, before she could I guess just be too beautiful over. was her sin. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. Be too beautiful. Well, I mean, I mean, adultery and incest. These are not, you know. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> adultery and incest. Those Is are probably really bad. incest when it's your stepdad. Uh, oh. uh, legally, yes. Hold on here. Um, let me <clears throat> let me take a look on Pornhub real quick. <laughs> no, no, no. What the, what the like Elena's relationship to them? I thought she was maybe just like a guest or a house servant or something, and the stepfather and the son. She was involved. You know with how both servant of them. is going to have curls like oh, that, Elena? No, I think she was. I think she was actually married to, um, or meant to be married to the uh, Max. Yeah, but and that's not really incestual. It's not. Eddie, what does Pornhub say about stepdad? It's it's not biologically incest, right? But but I think that I think certainly in terms of the, um, it's, it's certainly in terms of both the uh, say, common law, but also Catholic canon law, it is incest. So. Uh, and that's what that's what would count. Yeah, uh, in I mean, terms yeah. Of, you know, culturally, get, yeah, yeah. It's not they're not going to have some sort of like uh, genetic issues with their offspring, but it's going to make family reunions real fucking awkward. <laughs> so, so maybe uh, uh, for society, unlike, it might be an issue. Unlike other family reunions, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> maybe a little. No, more. not really, because he's married to the mother, and she's either married or going to marry the son. So if they take off together, that's it. They have no more relations with that family, right? Fair, yeah. It's a good point. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think I, yeah, uh, I, yeah, I tend to agree with what you're saying there on it. Uh, like I said, the just smacks of like the the Silent Hill that she needed to go and, and us, you know, vicariously through here needed to go figure out what the the full mystery was behind the all of the murders. Um. So yeah, I, I think, and you know, and, and it just you know refers back to the, uh, the fresco at the beginning with Leandro bringing the dead to to the afterworld. Except they didn't have a plane on the painting. That would have been weird. Yes. <laughs> Ancient like, aliens. Art historians <laughs> question the authenticity of this fresco <laughs> due to the presence of the devil's hand of an iPhone. Yes, I do. <laughs> and he's got one of those pilot caps on. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think that would work. Um, he's Sully Savalas. <laughs> All right. So uh, yeah, I think you uh, summed up the movie fairly well here, Faustus. Thank you so much for bringing it on to the show. Uh, yeah, it's something I haven't done a, a ton recently, but I'll I'll, I'll bring up the. Uh, the classic, which is uh, Faustus, if people enjoyed Lisa and the Devil and there was uh, found that they wanted to watch something uh, in a similar vein or, or that maybe hits the same note uh, with you, what would you suggest for them? Probably the same thing I've been pushing through the episode, which is go back to some of the earlier Bava if you haven't seen them already. Okay. Uh, go watch 1966's Kill Baby Kill um, because it has a similar sort of gothic creepiness as does uh black sabbath 1964 uh you'll see both the roots of this movie but you'll also see the same kind of themes worked through in 
uh, a quite thorough and interesting way. Uh, also go back and watch 1960s, uh, the Wardulak segment from, uh, from Black Sunday. And, uh, you know, generally this is, if you want to go forward in the Gothic, um, I kind of like, I, I don't know how you, uh, how you all feel about it. I kind of like Guillermo del Toro's Crimson Peak. Mm. Oh, I fucking uh, love that exa- movie. Yeah. As an, as an example of a remade, a re- reimagined Gothic movie. It's so uh, perfect. So that's, that's where I would be looking for, for things to do. If you, if you like this movie, watch those movies. Excellent. Uh, yeah. So I think that about wraps it up oh. for this episode. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, if you're looking for more literary gothic that's in a, a more modern, well, a very modern writer, there's Silvia Marina Garez. She wrote a book called Mexican Gothic, and okay. it's a gothic novel set in Mexico. And it's amazing and beautiful and everything you would ever want in a gothic novel, but with more modern touches to it. So read that book, too. Mexican Gothic. Yeah. Okay. Tim, do you have any suggestions? Uh, not really, because uh, I'm not a big fan of gothic horror. It's probably my least favorite. And then you add the Italian on top of it, or the Spanish <laughs> uh, gothic. Uh, yeah, I got no recommendations. Just anything else, then, in general? Uh, listen to us. Listen to Daniel's uh, Daniel's podcast, Mustachio Podcast. He's coming back soon. Oh, I think good. he's releasing on uh, the 4th of July. He oh, sure is. He did a show for that. Might be his last show back. <laughs> what did you do to him? Uh, just what we normally do. And I guess I'll tease. Uh, we floated a couple of things in the Discord about what the next month's theme was going to be, but I think we've kind of settled on big, dumb American horror uh, for the month of July. It's very fitting, uh, you know, given the, the 4th of July coming up and how big and dumb America's getting. So <laughs> go ahead. And- well, what's an example? What's an example of... <clears throat> Sorry, big and dumb, big and dumb American horror. Well, you know, yeah, and I and I don't even think we necessarily need it to be horror, but I'd say Maximum Overdrive is a great example of a big dumb American horror movie. Right, or right. hubris, Rain King. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent hubris. Steve, Stephen King just completely coked out of his gills and a bunch of monster trucks at a truck stop, or not monster trucks. Sorry, eighteen wheelers. Yeah, but they are monsters. They are monsters. That's true. That's true. That that'd be the first example that comes to my mind. What about you, Tim or or Candace? Either of you got one that? <clears throat> See, oh, I thought we were just doing big stupid movies. So, but yeah, that's going to be kind of hard to figure. Big stupid horror. I, I had a suggestion. Doesn't that I have thought to be horror. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead, Candace. Of course, it's horror because it's me. It is Piranha Three Double D. Okay. Oh my gosh! I just I just put that on order. <laughs> yeah. I like the way you're thinking. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to confess that, but I have. No, no, that's um, fine. Oh, it's a fun movie, and it is big and yeah. dumb, but also from a French director. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I think you get the uh, the vibe we're going for between Maximum Overdrive and Piranha Three Double D, somewhere in that <laughs> yeah. wheelhouse. Uh, you know, I would honestly, I, I even floated like they live, but then I, you know, a we covered it before, and no, b it's not dumb. Oh come on, it, Wait, it's uh, fun when satire on America. They live? It was the very first episode of this I did. Oh wow, Candace, do your research. Wow, I'm not going to listen. Wait, was it by yourself? No, it was me and uh, Stephen Izzy from Everything I Learned from Movies. 
No shit. Re- get recorded the weekend of the 4th of July. How fitting. Look at that. Comes full circle. It sure does. And now I might be on Daniel's episode. We'll see. I know. That's why I was like, <laughs> that's why he was like, wait, didn't you do that? I'm like, no, we didn't do that. It. What are you talking about? I, I, this was BC. Before I've been Kansas. talking about we, we might need to go back and recover some of those just because I've had to take them down off of certain uh, podcast providers because music is in them and they get kind mm. of irritated by that. But uh, yeah, some reason. Yeah. And yeah, to wrap things up, Faustus, thank you so much for joining us and bringing the movie. I had a great time watching it and talking about it with you. Uh, yeah. If there is there anything on the Internet you want people to pay attention to or anything you're working? Uh, well, I mean, I guess I'm wrapping up. I'm wrapping up my uh, my satirical mashup uh, called Nutty Monster on Campus over at eroticmadscience.com. This is where I decided to make fun of. Uh, Monster on the Campus, 1958, together with the Nutty Professor, uh, imagining them if they were sort of like one movie. Um, and you can come over and see that if you'd like. Uh, we might be going on a bit of a hiatus over there as I work on the other big projects, but we'll see. Uh, and there we are for now. Excellent. Great place to go and just make sure you see everything Faust. This has got going on. Um, so, Tim, you've promoted the the mustachio podcastio of course mm-hmm. uh grind bin you coming up on them anytime soon yeah, there's always a good chance i gotta be on either the grind yeah. bin main or one of the mini bins so yeah much to uh it's several staple. people on twitter's disdain <laughs> yeah, fuck them. get off twitter and get on a podcast that's, that's a good point and uh candace or just go out and get some fresh air i mean you know, come on yeah listen to my voice outside it's gonna be much better. there you go take tim on a jog and uh, Candace, what about you? I am am going to be on the grind bin. I'm recording with them this week. Oh, nice! Yes, a nice, fun, act- dumb action movie. Love those. Those are so fun. That's the one I did with them. Rage. Uh, so yeah, definitely check out the grind bin. Check out the Mustachio Podcast. You check us out on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Bloody Bits, where you get access to all of our bonus episodes, as well as the Blood Bank, where you can see movies like. Lisa and the Devil, and uh, Strip Nude for Your Killer. It runs the gamut of uh, class and ass, let's say. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, And other than that, if you can, leave us a five-star review on your podcast app of of, uh, choice. Maybe, you know what, tell a friend to listen to the podcast. That's always fun. Word of mouth. That's the best kind of advertising, because when I try to run an ad on Twitter, they tell me I'm not allowed to. So fuck really? them. Yeah, I tried to run an ad for Strip Nude for Your Killer, and they said, uh, no, that's not an approved ad. Oh, fuck them. Uh, why, because of that uh, shot that you took of it? I didn't take any shot of it, Tim. That that was uh, that was uh, Wick. He made the, the box art for it. Oh, okay. But I don't so think that was particularly art. offensive. Um, uh. <laughs> <laughs> so what if it was it looked like Paul Bearer in his underwear? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of those things I'm a little offensive, but I know when I see it. Gotcha. <laughs> All right. So that about does it for the show. Faustus, again, thanks for joining us. Uh, can't wait thanks for having me. Yeah, great show. Can't wait to have you back on. But until then, this is how we end it. <laughs>